once. I put up with it. You accused me twice. I quit. You pressure me to fear for my life, and I will put a fucking bullet in your head as if you were anybody else, okay? Got something you wanna ask me? Look, you're 70 years old, Frank. I'm just saying, okay? One of you guys is gonna pop you. One of you guys is gonna pop yeah, you. And yeah, as, yeah. as for running drugs, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? You don't need the money or the pain in the ass, and they will catch you. I haven't needed the money since I took Archie's milk money in third grade. Tell you the truth, I don't need pussy anymore either. But I like it. Point I'm making here is, Bill, I got this rat, this gnawing, cheating fucking rat. And it brings up questions. You know, see, Bill, like, you're the new guy. Girlfriend. Why don't you stay in the bar? That night I got your numbers. Social security numbers. Yeah. Everybody's fucking numbers. Is this, is this something that you just want to go ahead and ask me? Because I'll give you the fucking answer, all right? Frank, look at me. Look at me. I'm not the fucking rat, okay? I'm not the fucking rat. Start with you agree there is a rat. You said there is one, all right? I base most of what I do on the idea that you're pretty fucking good at what you do. Sure. Sure, but you, William, what would you do? Frank, how many of these guys have been with you long enough to be disgruntled, huh? Think about it. You don't pay much, you know. It's almost a fucking feudal enterprise. The question is, and this is the only question, who thinks that they can do what you do better than you? The only one who could do what I do is me. A lot of people had to die for me to be me. You want to be me? I probably could be you, yeah. Yeah, I know that much. But I don't want to be you, Frank. I don't want to be you. Heavy lies the crown. Sort of thing. Yeah. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. 
And this is episode number 221, The Departed. A uh, Best Picture winner in the spirit of uh, Oscars weekend. Oh, yeah. I'm not even watching the Oscars. Uh, how many of the movies? I, I, I'm sure you've seen more of them than me, but... I don't know. A couple, maybe? Yeah. I don't it, know. Wow. <laughs> I don't think they're expecting big ratings this year. How our lives have changed. Yeah, well, what can you do? That's right. We'll get back to it when the world returns to normal. <laughs> I'm not so sure that it ever will, but Maybe that's not. unrelated to COVID. That's true. <laughs> so we're back after a little bit of a break. Matt's lost his virginity, finally. Yep, it was a big moment for Thankfully. everyone. It was like on uh, Boy Meets World when Corey and Topanga finally got married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure that most people probably assume that the break that we took was related to that but it wasn't. Yeah, it it was all hurt. my idea for me. <laughs> yeah. Because we recorded two episodes at once, so we got to have a little bit of a break anyway. And then I was like, why not just keep it rolling? That's this right. is yeah. great. There's nothing better than not having to do something. So anytime, yeah, getting the text of it's Specifically like, not this podcast. Yeah, well, really everything, though. It's just like, yeah, I mean, getting the text of, hey, you know what? Let's uh, extend this vacation a little bit. I'm like, yep, I'm all for it. Did I text you that? No, I don't know. Did, did I find out when you posted the cocktail episode that <laughs> <Maybe>. we're taking <laughs> an extra break? Yeah, I just decided for everyone that that's what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And it happened. That's right. But now we're back, ready to kick into high gear with a big one. I know that there's a few listeners that specifically had mentioned this particular subject. So now we're doing it, not officially as a listener request, but oh yeah, I think we were going to get to another scorsese movie soon anyway this felt like a good one to come back with I have a such popular a, one I, I definitely have a long history with this movie i mean this is one that when it was coming out my excitement through the roof i think i probably watched the trailer on youtube like a million <laughs> times and it's hard to feel like this ever happens now but like when the tv spots would come on i'd get excited <laughs> you know i'm, I'm yeah. like so stoked for this i mean there's just like a million people in it dicaprio Looks awesome in every scene. Great lines in the trailers. Looks completely explosive. So before we discuss The Departed, it's been a while, so let's remind everyone that they can follow our show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and probably an assortment of other outlets. We just don't know what those are. We encourage you to tell your friends about the show and also give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Slide into the DMs on Twitter. Sure. You can request a sticker from us for free. We'll just mail that to you. And if you have a listener request, you can let us know. We have a couple that we're going to be tackling in the near future over the month of May. So if you send one in to us, we'll probably get to it at some point this year. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. And... Letterboxed, which is still going strong. Hopefully, if you're hearing the sound of my voice now, you've signed up for Letterboxd and you're following us at Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. I wonder if we've gotten any listens from someone just like clicking on the link in a Letterboxd profile. It's possible. You never it could know. happen. Yeah, it could happen. <laughs> and I think that about covers the housekeeping stuff. I'd say so. A lot to cover here, so might as well jump in. Yeah, so this is a huge movie. It's strange to think that it's been 15 years now, basically, since this came out. It's hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah, I loved this movie in the theater. Uh, to me, you could throw away anything that you want to look into it about, you know, deceit and 
hate and racism and all these other themes in the movie. It's just like just surface value. It's such a fun crime thriller. The Departed was directed by Martin Scorsese and written by William Monaghan. It is a remake of the 2002 Hong Kong film Infernal Affairs. Oh, yeah, that's funny, too, because I can remember doing research around the time. Oh, let me get on IMDb and, and see what's going on. And it's listed as, like, you know, crime, mystery, whatever. And, like, remake was one of the things. And I was like, what? This is a remake? And then, yeah, you go on to look, and it's like, oh, okay, this is a remake of a movie. At that time, you're like, how can I find this? <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, I, how do I watch this original version? The original was written by Alan Mack and Felix Chang. However, Infernal Affairs was ultimately molded slightly to be loosely based upon the real-life Boston Winter Hill Gang. The character of Colin Sullivan is based on corrupt FBI agent John Connolly, while the character of Frank Costello is based on the gangster Whitey Bulger. Right. Again, it's not really like a biopic because the names are changed and the events yeah. are changed and everything else. Just inspired by. Yeah, it's sort of set the template with which to mold Infernal Affairs around. That's right. We'd see a, a much more biographical depiction of it in that movie with Johnny Depp. Black Mass. That's yeah. right. Which is far less exciting, really. Absolutely, than this. yeah. <laughs> we need that, like, psychosexual Jack Nicholson version. The Departed had a ton of star power, which probably factored into the excitement and absolutely everything else leading into it. Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Ray Winstone, Vera Farmiga, and Alec Baldwin, amongst others. The budget was $90 million, and over half of that accounted for actors' salaries. The box office ended up being $291.5 million. And it won four Academy Awards. Best Picture, which is the only remake to ever have won Best Picture. Best Director, Martin Scorsese, finally winning after famously not winning for Goodfellas and Raging Bull and everything else. I know, which I always feel like this movie has an unfair negativity associated with it for that. Almost like immediately after it won Best Picture, people were like, yeah, but I mean, you know, this is a makeup call. It's not the one he should have won for. And I feel like that like bleeds over and it kind of gives like a negative connotation to the movie. While maybe it's not as good as some of those other movies, it's still a pretty great movie. Yeah, I also think like a huge factor at that time period was that it was sort of a weak Oscar field. Yeah. I remember like Babel and Oof. Little Miss Sunshine and I don't remember. There was like a f- few other ones. There was no really strong it's definitely going to win sure. type candidate. Also won Best Adapted Screenplay for Monaghan and Best Film Editing for Thelma Schoenmacher. Mark Wahlberg was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And won, right? I thought he no, won. No, no, He oh, was okay. just nominated. Yeah, famously, <laughs> Warner Brothers decided to push DiCaprio for Blood Diamond instead. Seems crazy. Because, which he was nominated for, but didn't win. Mostly because he didn't want to compete against his co-stars in a nomination battle with potentially Nicholson and Matt Damon, although none of them ultimately were nominated. I think DiCaprio probably should have been nominated for this. I think so. It doesn't really surprise me that the others weren't. I think DiCaprio is amazing. The other two are definitely good and and fun to watch. I think DiCaprio is like so good in this movie. (laughs) The scenes where it's 
we as the audience know that it's him and we can see it on his face yet like these guys that he's like you could see that he's scared yeah right but like they're not seeing it so i thought before we actually jump in and we do our little discussion of the story and the plot and the whole thing might as well tackle some of the big hotter topics around this movie it's released people's opinions whatever so let's just get right off the bat the first thing that everyone always brings up the fucking rat at the end of the movie oh yeah people will not let this go and just ignore it (laughs) scorsese acknowledges that while it is not meant to be taken literally it somewhat symbolizes the quote quest for the rat in the film and the strong sense of distrust among the characters much like post 9-11 u.s the window view behind the rat is a nod to gangster films like Little Caesar from 1931, Scarface from 1932, and White Heat from 1949. Of course, yeah, Marty referencing films really, that all uh, of us yeah. are really familiar with. I gotta with. say, I wasn't picking up on that. <laughs> so, okay. Is it a terrible decision? Yes. I yeah. don't really understand why he would do this. It seems, it seems crazy that no one stopped stupid, it. Stupid, yeah. But does it really matter or no. ruin anything? No, because the last scene is awesome, and you're just, like, blown away by it. I'm pretty sure in the theater, it didn't even really affect me in any way. Yeah. If you would have asked me specifically, like, what did you think of the rat? I probably would have been like, oh, not great. But I wasn't really thinking about that at all, leaving the the, theater. uh... DiCaprio in the elevator scene, the shock of that. Yeah. I don't think I was over that for like hours after the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. And you, of course, you have such a bloodthirst. And when the Mark Wahlberg character, you know, does what he does, you're, of course, like just reveling in it and basking in the glow of revenge. But I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, it did not stick with me. I remember thinking, like, or feeling like it's kind of silly and unnecessary, but it, it's not something that I think detracts from the movie. The second thing to talk about is the performance of Jack Nicholson definitely been some criticism of the accent which comes and goes and even when he does an accent it, it's unclear what's happening however i don't really feel like launching into the whole thing that i did when we talked about the girl with the dragon tattoo and Rooney Mara and comparing it to Anthony Hopkins and Nixon and how acting is not necessarily just impressions of people or absolutely accents. N- right nor do i care and i i do think people need to stop focusing on that specifically with boston movies <laughs> like that is yeah. always the story more so than any other location it's like how well did they do the boston accent i mean i lived out there and it's like some people have the intense accent and some people really don't you know yeah i, I kind of think it would be better if nicholson just didn't even try it yeah, in any scene right. it probably would be a little bit better but it never bothers me because he definitely captures something much more charismatic and flamboyant about the character that makes it exciting when he's on screen. And I could give a shit what he sounds like when he talks. Sure, yeah. But that's just me. Accents for the movie in general are sort of a mixed bag. Obviously, Damon is really good at it. He's probably one of the better people. Wahlberg's is crazy, but his character (laughs) is crazy. Absolutely, yeah. You know... Farmiga, some scenes she seems to be doing it, and other scenes she's not doing it. And the other people, it's sort of like, eh, take it or leave it. I'm not distracted by it at all. I I don't care. Yeah. Originally, Al Pacino was potentially going to play the part, which I think would have been a stretch. I don't know if they could have 
in good conscience really made the character Irish at that point. Yeah, I know, right? I think that would have had to have just been a completely different story. <laughs> a big part of it, though, and I think this is something that Nicholson is able to bring just because of his sexuality, his like charisma that oozes out of him. Oh, yeah. Is this whole idea that a lot of people talk about with The Departed of the latent homosexuality in the Costello character and possibly in Sullivan, Matt Damon's character as well. Yeah, which I've come around on the Colin Sullivan character being gay a lot more in later viewings because you and I talked about it earlier, but I felt this exact same way. I always thought that his sexual inadequacies were like due to mental struggles, mental exhaustion or whatever from having to live this secret life and carry on this deceit all the time. But I think there's more clues to the fact that he may be gay and that this is part of this whole secret and this double life. Well, I think like another underlying thing that you can't deny, and this ties in more with Costello, but it could also apply to Sullivan as well, is the abuse in the Catholic Church, which Costello brings up several times. Definitely. Which you get the sense that maybe something happened there and it's affected Costello in some way. Yeah. I don't really know what they were going for in terms of the movie. It seems like, and we'll talk about this more as we continue through this episode. It seems yeah. like a lot of people were putting input into this movie. It's people weird. were just coming up with stuff I know. all the time. That is the one thing about it. It seems like countless themes in this movie. Cause there's definitely yeah. something with fathers and father figures, but religion is a part of it too, because it's like, for both Costigan and the Sullivan character, Frank Costello is kind of like this father figure yeah. who, and like, he, he almost preys on them because both are mentioned that their fathers weren't really anything special. Or a part of their lives right. for very and long. And like, they're both these types of people that have like this identity crisis. Yeah. I think with the Sullivan character, it's a little bit more of a quest for power. And the Costigan character is a little bit more like trying to figure out who he is. But there's definitely like this element that almost like Costello's preyed on this, like yeah. this need. Yeah, and there's there's just so many things going on that it seems like someone was just like, well, what if we imply <laughs> yeah. this and hint at that? And there's a lot of different things going on. I think on paper, this movie seems like it should be awesome because you're like, okay, Scorsese, gangster movie, look at this cast. Then you start adding more details and you're like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. People are acting insane. Let's add in these weird plot twists or or things that don't don't quite add up or like let's add in themes of homosexuality or (laughs) potential child abuse or let's have Jack Nicholson make this big speech at the beginning of the movie that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the rest of the movie. Oh, right. Just crazy stuff. And then yet somehow it just turns into this great Scorsese, almost like a a best of montage where it's just like somehow if you just put gimme shelter under it it'll all work in the end (laughs) yeah we're making the trailer right here as soon as gimme shelter hits you're like okay this can just be the trailer for the movie but there is something about that like starting off yeah because the speech at the beginning is about like race and racism and stuff but it does just kind of start this thing off of like hate (laughs) like every character is like so angry in this movie yeah i'm wondering if the idea behind that was like okay, this is an environment where... Because he does that whole line about, like, I don't want to be a product yep. of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. I'm wondering if the idea is this is the sort of world that a figure like Costello could emerge from and find power. If that's, like, all that really means. 
but yeah. it's just this roundabout way of saying it where you're like, this makes it seem like this movie might be about other things than what it's about. Right, right. <laughs> All right. Another thing we should discuss briefly, and now you haven't seen Infernal Affairs. I've right. watched it for the first time fairly recently, so I'll just hit like a couple of things in terms of differences. There but, weren't many years in between the two films. It was only four years. Aren't there a lot of shots in The Departed that are kind of recaptured shots or, you know, re Well, Scorsese had never seen the original. Oh, okay. Until after he he made it. In I, fact, when he signed on, he didn't know that it was a remake. I thought years ago I watched the like the trailer for it and I I thought that the classroom shots when they're in the police academy taking the test and looking up at the clock, for some reason I thought that was like that could have been written into the script, though, Okay, as yeah. to how that would look. But, yeah, because a lot of the stuff is the same, but there are a few key differences. First of all, the runtime. The Departed is 151 minutes, and Infernal Affairs is 101 minutes. So they yeah. added 50 minutes, and that's basically the difference, in my opinion, of the movies, is The Departed is willing to take its time and explore every nook and cranny of this insane story, whereas Infernal Affairs is strictly business you would almost be like blown away by the pace of it after watching the departed I'm because sure, yeah. all the same stuff kind of happens but it's just so fast okay yeah it, it's sort of crazy because obviously infernal affairs existed first but and the character that costello becomes in the american version is much smaller character in the original and i okay. think it was actually written that way until they got nicholson and they're like well, oh yeah clearly this has he to needs be a million more scenes a bigger thing yeah the Departed is a standalone movie, and it, it sort of closes at the end. I know that there was some discussion from Wahlberg at one point that maybe they would do a sequel. I don't think Scorsese was ever really interested in that, sure. even though I think a script may have been written. Wahlberg, you- he has a little bit of that Tarantino thing where it's like everything he does could <laughs> somehow be like 10 more movies. Like There's yeah. always like this talk about like, you know, like these, the, the fighter. Like, we're going to do more of these The Fighter movies. <laughs> I think that... A big part. Well, that is true, but I think a big part of it with The Departed is Wahlberg treats every scene as if he's the main character That's of the true. movie, which yeah. I'm not the first it person to, to point it. that out. But yeah, it it definitely adds to the movie. But I think like he thinks that because of what happens at the end, he's the hero of the movie. So oh, why yeah. wouldn't he be able to continue on, even though a lot of the principal figures are dead? <laughs> right, right. But yeah, Infernal Affairs was a trilogy. It doesn't end the same way. One of the big things, though, that I think that they improved in the American version is in Infernal Affairs, there are two female characters. One, I, I don't know what, the, I can't remember what their characters' names are in the original, but one that goes with the Costigan character sure, and yeah. one that goes with the Sullivan character. Instead, they condense that into one that Vera Farmiga plays in The Departed, and it adds a whole other layer to the whole thing where then you're bringing in themes of like relationships. Oh, yeah questions of manhood like yeah. <laughs> delivering sexually satisfaction in that sense and all these different things which then get into like how does that impact you mentally and the toll that that might take on Sullivan's character because then it becomes a vicious cycle oh, yeah. it's like for whatever reason he's unable to perform but then once that happens then it that's what weighs on you <laughs> right right you know what i mean yeah yeah i think it adds like a whole other level and i think it's a great change because then it connects them even more. Well, you know, there's that part where Mark Wahlberg and Martin Sheen are, like, interviewing the DiCaprio character or whatever. And Costigan, he makes that comment, the line about families always rising and falling in America. 
And then they kind of make the joke. He's like, who said that Hawthorne? <laughs> and uh, Wahlberg like, makes like the fart noises. Yeah. Like, what's the matter? You don't know any Shakespeare. But I do feel like the end of this movie, it is like very Shakespearean with all these people like dying. And then, but I feel like the Vera Farmiga dynamic kind of adds another, that almost feels Shakespearean as well. The last thing I guess we could talk about as far as things that get criticized with this movie, and it, it'll be brief. Give me shelter by the Rolling Stones. This is the third time Scorsese <laughs> yeah. has I used it. I think it's it. okay. It's his theme song. <laughs> he used it in Goodfellas and Casino. He's like, now hit my music. <laughs> yeah, ultimately, I think the soundtrack for this is pretty cool. There's some pretty fun deep cuts, and obviously the Dropkick Murphys. Well, that became like the Boston sports anthem. Yeah, I think like every didn't, time didn't this Patriots like, on of, CBS in the playoffs. Well, it's synced up with Papelbon using it coming out of the bullpen for okay. the 2007 yeah, yeah. World Series. Right. So it was sort of around the same time period. Well, even like that. Um, Are the li- Dropkick Murphys having a moment? The lie that, that is so such a weird choice to use that live version of Pink Floyd doing Comfortably Oh, Numb, we'll get to which that. Which they had just. Perf- I, I thought think that was like something that had just been performed like not that long ago. I remember that being on TV. I don't think that was an old recording, was it? I'm not. Sh- well, no, it wasn't that old. Yeah. No, I don't know what year it was from, but I, but yeah, I remember that being I think on it was TV like live in Berlin or something. And then of course they reuse it in uh, Sopranos. Right, when he's at literally yeah. listening to the soundtrack. Departed soundtrack. Yeah. yeah, I think the soundtrack ends up being pretty cool, and we'll, we'll talk about the comfortably numb scene okay, later. Yeah, right. Because I think it's such a a strange but awesome decision to just go forward with the live version. Right, Because right. it makes it stand out in a way. Yeah. Plus, like, the vocals in that are hilarious to me, because it's always like, <laughs> like, the action will be playing out. Because it actually starts way before DiCaprio yeah, gets yeah. to Vera Farmiga's apartment, but then it kicks back in later. And then when it gets to the chorus, it's just like so dominating oh, in the I background. Know. It's like, the distant <laughs> on the horizon. It there's, there's a lot of emotion in his voice, but it also kind of sounds like he's running out of breath. <laughs> it's just so loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I'm not sure if that's because they try to get the rights from the original recording from the wall and it was too much money and they were like you know we could just use this live version or unclear scorsese was like i like this live version i want to use this i don't know who knows why they did that it's it's rare yeah but i think they used a live otis redding was it on the twin peaks the return that's right yeah i think sometimes it happens but it's it's not something you experience a lot that's true live recordings on the soundtrack all right In January 2003, Warner Brothers and Brad Gray and Brad Pitt bought the rights to remake Infernal Affairs. Yeah, because it is one of those weird things when you look at the credits and you see like Brad Pitt's name pop up as like an executive producer or something. Yeah, I mean, he's been involved as a producer with some pretty notable stuff, including this winning Best Picture and 12 Years a Slave. Was that? He may have been a producer on Social Network as well. I think he, yeah, he may have produced a couple of Fincher things. Monaghan and Scorsese later came on board. Scorsese was evidently unaware of the original until after he had already agreed to direct the film. He then chose to not watch Infernal Affairs until after The Departed was completed, just to finish what we were saying before. Pitt was originally supposed to have Matt Damon's role, but dropped out after deciding a younger actor should play the part. Matt Damon is seven years younger than Brad Pitt. Yeah, I don't know if you'd always know it by looking I at him, though. I don't know <laughs> if that's really the only decision. Yeah, I just yeah. had, I, I said to you before we started recording, I love Brad Pitt. I think he's like a fun, great actor Absolutely. in certain situations. 
I don't know if he would have been as good as like a Weasley. Yeah, villain. I just think he's too charming. Yeah, because then you're basically doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 13 years earlier. Yeah, yeah. And you're then competing with like the two quote like most handsome guys. Yeah, you're right. I just think like he's too likable, and so you're you're maybe rooting for yeah, him too I mean, much. Damon, while he seems like hateable in this movie, is so good at this. Yeah, this is his wheelhouse in terms of like creep oh, villains yeah. who are sort of like Weasley. I don't know if that if Brad Pitt has that in his arsenal. I don't. I can't really think of it's a hard role to he's done that's yeah. like this. In fact, when people talk about this movie and Pitt originally going to be in it, I think a lot of people have assumed that he was going to be the DiCaprio part. That's but DiCaprio one... was always sort of yeah. penciled in for that part. He's like the one constant, whereas like literally every other character was maybe going to be someone okay, else. Yeah. From Queen in to Anthony Anderson's part, to like everybody was maybe going to be someone else. I think it's perfect the, the way it landed. Even, of course, down to the Mark Wahlberg and Alec Baldwin's being like, the lower build people just cranking it up to a hundred. Yeah, I'm not sure. I can't remember if there was like an alternative to Baldwin. As we go through the plot and we meet all the different characters, I'll just sort of mention who was maybe going to play the part originally, uh, out of the people we haven't mentioned yet. But yeah, I don't know if I've heard one for Baldwin or not. I can't remember. Nicholson's presence led to the role of Frank Costello being made larger than life and overall bigger. As I mentioned, the parallel character in Infernal Affairs is not in it as much. It's, sure, yeah. He has a couple of memorable scenes, but he's much less of a presence. Monaghan, the screenwriter, came up with the idea of basing the character on Irish-American gangster Whitey Bulger, which I think he kind of did in response to Nicholson like wanting this to be a little different from like the standard gangster movie which is weird that an actor once the script has already been written is having that kind of an influence yeah <laughs> like, well that's just the departed in a nutshell it's right, like right. everything just seemed so like up in the air and malleable that the fact that they pulled it all together to make a well-reviewed movie that made a ton of money that ultimately won best picture seems insane <laughs> right yeah no i'm sure like in scorsese's original vision after having the script and everything he would like if you were to ask him that there was going to be a scene with jack nicholson like wielding a black dildo <laughs> <He would've> <laughs> that might have been in the script i think there's a story about that was like a surprise that nicholson just like showed up with that for the scene <laughs> yeah that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> oh boy this is his birthday recently oh wow. happy birthday yeah how old is he in his I think he's like 84 or yeah something. Yeah, it sucks that his last movie wasn't great, which is sort of the same thing with Hackman. It's like, sometimes I think they don't really realize it's about to be their last movie, then they're just like, well, I guess I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. And so you have How Do You Know is Nicholson's and Welcome to Mooseport is Hackman's. Those are two that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing was very fast and loose. Everyone had input, everyone going nuts. Most of the people in this are... You're just ramping up their performances. I think the only one not doing that is DiCaprio, so it sort of makes him stand out. He's deathly serious, which works because he's the one that's supposed to be so tense oh, yeah. and panicky all the time. Everyone else, it's like, it's not bad, but it's just they're operating as if this is like almost a soap opera or yeah. something, <laughs> except they're all really good actors. For sure. But like, it's just so over the top, and which makes it just infinitely watchable that's right yeah 
there's a decadent sloppiness that is so entertaining and fun. Yeah, People well, doing things that just don't make sense. Honestly, even <laughs> the way that the movie's like cut together doesn't feel smooth. Well, that sometimes happens with... Well, it did win Best Editing. Yeah, I know. That happens with Scorsese's style, though. That's sort right, of a yeah. trademark with his like, like montage feel to it. Yeah. But yeah, it does seem like there are things missing from the script, there's and yet it's so ha- long. And there's almost like scenes that happen that it almost feels like they're out of sequence. For example, what, the sex scene, like when he goes over there... It's like, is that actually, that's before she moved in with Matt Damon? She was in the process of moving, she says. Yeah, but the whole thing with the picture where he moves the picture up on the wall, like that's after she yeah, shows the I noticed that the as well. I took that to be that like, she, she was, brought it back. She was sort of hurt, yeah, that yeah. she just took it out yeah. and she didn't know what to do with it. I think it. you can interpret it that way. But yeah, I know what you mean, because I think I noticed that even in the theater, I thought yeah. that that was weird. I don't know, and there's just a couple moments and like yeah, that. Yeah, and that, then later you're like... That's the whole thing where they're looking for him one of the times, uh, right. Costello's crew. Yep. And then he's supposed to be at home or whatever. It doesn't, it's like how much time has passed. Like, I know, it all yeah. seems to be happening in one night, but then it seems like more time has passed. Right. I don't right. know. Yeah. You just sort of have to let it wash over. You can't get like, I do. too yeah. hung up on Absolutely. these Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a ton of things in The Departed that are unrealistic or highly improbable. A lot of this stuff happens in almost every other scene, but it's essentially it's like who cares because it's just very entertaining and fun. Absolutely, the fact that they just throw Captain Queen off of a building. <laughs> yeah, that actually is from Infernal Affairs. Okay, and it's, it's sort of set up the same way, but yeah, it actually looks cooler. I think in the Departed, it actually is hilarious when they're talking about like when Fitzy is just like talking about it afterwards. He's like, "That cop was tough. We were excessive with the cop." <laughs> Just throw him off a building. Yeah, Fitzy's actually pretty hilarious. Yeah, yeah I, I think as we go through this plot and everything, there probably will be a few casualties of just it being a long movie, not only with details of the story, but with certain characters. I don't know if we're going to really have time to shine yeah. a light on everybody and Costello's crew. Or Does it go without saying for this one that you really shouldn't listen to this episode without seeing the movie? <laughs> I, I mean, I've already spoiled things, but... I don't know if it's more so than anything else. Okay. I, there are certain ones where it really won't make sense. I think I we can sort of pull this together. Oh, absolutely. But if it's a movie that you're interested in watching and haven't... Well, uh, yeah. yeah. Come on. Hopefully people that listen to this podcast have seen The Departed. I mean, that's insane. Uh, all right. All right. I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> I think I saw this yeah. in the theater like four times or something. I know. I know. It's like, come on, people. <laughs> I know not everyone's as old as us, so they might have been young in 2006, but... Come on. It's on Netflix right now. Yeah. I saw it twice in the theater. Not okay. as many as you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, those were still days where I was doing stuff like that. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie four times in the theater. I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like four or five times in yeah, the theater. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Although that's the first time I had done something like that in a long time. Yeah. I think I saw The Dark Knight three times, and that was probably the most for me ever. I might have only saw The Dark Knight twice, although I don't know why we're going down. This I guess we path. really don't need to. This episode's <laughs> going to be like a four hour war and peace without this topic. Who let this IRA motherfucker in my bar? <laughs> Just kidding. How's your mother? Uh, she's on her way out. You all are. Act accordingly. In Boston. Irish mob boss Frank Costello, played by Jack Nicholson, plants Colin Sullivan, played by Matt Damon, as a mole within the Massachusetts State Police, 
Simultaneously, the police assign undercover state trooper William Billy Costigan, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, to infiltrate Costello's crew. When both sides realize the situation, Sullivan and Costigan each attempt to discover the other's identity before they are found out. That's Thanks right. for listening. Yeah, <laughs> please. <laughs> well, that's for the people who maybe you haven't seen it. That keeps you grounded in what's going on. Yeah. I wanted to get that out there first because I did think that this was going to be kind of an all over the place experience trying to describe this thing. For sure. It's like the movie itself. So let's, before we actually really buckle down, let's give our overall thoughts. Do I think this is Scorsese's best movie? No. But it's right up there in terms of ones that you can just put on. Absolutely. Is it one that is just like, if it's on, do I want to stop and watch the rest of it? Absolutely. Not that that comes up much anymore. You know, that was such a thing where you would flip through the channels and you see Yeah, that's like something that would still happen at my parents' house and actually did a few years ago with this movie. And I'm like trying to explain it to my dad, like what's going on. It, It was actually the comfortably numb scene. And I'm like, well, this is actually like the chick that Matt Damon's with. <laughs> and I'm like trying to like summarize the whole story. I guess like the modern day version of it, though, is like I come downstairs and Lindsay has this on Netflix. I'm sitting down and watching the rest of it. Yeah, it's super enjoyable. Everyone hits a home run in it. I know that there's some pushback with Nicholson or whatever. I just think that having Nicholson in this type of role, playing a villain again in a gangster movie... I don't give a shit if he doesn't say words exactly how no. Whitey Bulger said them. It's like, who gives a he's shit? He's not Come Whitey on. Bulger. He's Frank Costello. Yeah, he's something completely different. I mean, you want to watch him have an animal print tie or like that <laughs> leopard print robe that he wears at one point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just his interaction with his woman, Gwen, everything Absolutely. there is hilarious. I could, that could be like its own sitcom. <laughs> You watch your mouth. No, no you, you watch, watch it. it. <laughs> Such a memorable line for both of us. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, as far as the memorable lines go, Costello's got a lot of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing where he's like, how's your mother? And that dude's like, she's on her way out. And he's like, we all are act accordingly. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You're going to tell me that there's any other actor that does that better? Come on. No. Give me a break. All right. So we both are pretty high on it. It's among the best Scorsese, in my opinion. At least, like, I don't know if I can commit to top five. Maybe. I'd have to really, like, think about it. Yeah. It's got to be hovering right around five. Something like that. Yeah. I think it's maybe his most popcorn movie. I think maybe you would argue Goodfellas as well in that category, but it's just a big, bold thing that is appointment viewing and it's exciting and i wish there were more filmmakers coming along that felt like the next scorsese i don't really see that many of them hard to picture that yeah let's be honest there aren't really going to be a lot of directors that are given this kind of budget for these types of movies it's like scorsese and tarantino and i don't think there's going to be a lot of movies left between those two names in terms of those type of guys that would get this kind of budget for it's always hard to picture who Anything. those next guys could be. It just seems like there's less opportunity for somebody to slide into that. Yeah, because they're immediately directing something for Marvel or something like that. That's right. This is unbelievable. Who put the fucking cameras in this place? Oh, who the fuck are you? I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. Boston, some years ago, which is actually roughly 1986. <laughs> 
Costello's monologue, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Basically a brief history of violence and the Irish in Boston doesn't really have a lot to do with anything that actually happens in the movie, but it lets you know a little bit about Costello. Yeah, and I again, I do think it kind of lays the groundwork that everybody is going to be like, there's just going to be like this anger and hate behind like everything in this movie. Yeah, when I think about Boston, which is a city I've never been to, I do think about things like The Fighter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or The Departed or Gone Baby Gone the or town. something. Yeah. Yeah. Or Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> That's right. In a corner store during a collection, Frank Costello, who is a crime lord and a ruler of the streets in this area, meets a young Colin Sullivan. All over this opening like montage thing, he takes him under his wing. Much of the movie is done in this traditional Scorsese montage style taking breaks for like extended scenes from time to time. Yeah. But a lot of it is done this way, which helps you cover a lot of ground because even though this movie is two and a half hours long, it could easily be a mini series because there's sure. so much right, going right. on yeah. all the time. It seems like there's sections of the movie that even though it's so long could have been like, explained way more. Yeah. Been explored <laughs> further. Even this whole era when he's like selling drugs with his cousin yeah. Because that just kind of abruptly ends and moves to the next segment. I guess now that we're jumping into the story itself, it's as good a time as any to sort of bring up, once we move to present day, Yeah, yeah. how long is going on here? Because at one point, Costigan says he's been undercover for like a year. Well, yeah, by the but end, then also like, long time, long fucking time. Vera Farmiga is like, oh, I, we've been together for four months. But yeah, we true. see Sullivan meet her around... Like, it doesn't seem like... So you're right into saying that the whole drug dealing thing and well, then, like, meet, leading up to him meeting Costello was probably a lot longer than it feels like it, in the He's movie. also probably counting going to jail, which we don't know how long he was in. Oh, yeah, that's thing. true. Oh, God. Yeah. So 20 years later, after Costello has taken Sullivan under his wing... Sullivan, who's now played by Damon, has been groomed as a mole inside the Massachusetts State Police, where he joins the Special Investigations Unit, led by Captain Ellerby, played by Alec Baldwin, and he enjoys a rather fast ascent within this department. He right. is promoted a lot, he's considered an up-and-comer, not everybody loves him, but that's probably how it is in places like this. He right. impresses the right people. Moves quickly. And dresses nice. And, you know, you sort of get a little taste of different things. I think that if you want to read into it that Sullivan is gay, you can start to see it almost immediately, especially with <laughs> the rugby game and the oh, post-rugby yeah. game and just the stuff he says. Obviously, it's, like, offensive, but it's funny when he's, like, he says the like homophobic slurs and then like time passes and yeah this that's guy's what i mean other shit like he won't let this it is, go like, still on his mind yeah, yeah. <laughs> fireman getting pussy for the first time in the history <laughs> of fire or pussy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is definitely a quotable line as well while that's all happening another recruit billy costigan jr dicaprio is approached by captain queenan played by martin sheen now this was originally going to be played by De Niro, or at least that's who Scorsese wanted. It had been a while since they worked together. It turns out they would not work together again until The Irishman. Wow. 
but De Niro passed on this to make The Good Shepherd. Interesting. Which, which he is directed. Also, isn't Matt Damon in that, too? Yes. <laughs> And I think DiCaprio turned it down oh, to be wow. in this. Okay, that's weird. So I don't know how this all worked. Yeah, that's strange. Seems like there were a handful of people that were all sort of mixed together. I don't know if De Niro has directed anything else besides The Good Shepherd. I saw that in the theater as well. I'm always so bad at like trying a lot to picture more boring than this. <laughs> yeah, uh, other people in roles, but it just seems like it would have been a different role with De Niro in it. I mean, he can play an understated character for sure, but like Queenan's got this good catholic boy i think that like de niro would have mostly the parallel that you could draw would maybe be his character in copland yeah where he's not the main villain and he's not the main good guy and he's sort of in the fringes right but he's mostly good but like you know it's just sort of like there copland by the way one of the great movies that we have to do on this show oh yeah we're definitely gonna do copland at some point not enough people talk about how great that is. yeah i know (laughs) It's an unbelievable cast. It's kind of like The Departed of a decade earlier. That's right. In a way. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. (laughs) Sheen brings sort of a comforting fatherly role to this where you immediately feel safer. And I just think that that does bring the right energy to balance out Dingham. Absolutely. Who's completely insane. Because Queenan and Staff Sergeant Dingham, played by Mark Wahlberg, who was also potentially going to be cast as someone else, Ray Liotta, which I could see Ray Liotta doing it. He can definitely amp it up and be crazy. It's just that he's much older, and it would have brought a whole different dynamic to it. Right. It's almost like Ray Liotta, you you kind of picture the character that he is in Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah. And having Wahlberg, who probably considers himself a peer to Damon and DiCaprio, have to play a much smaller part, it definitely adds something to it, this chip on his shoulder. Oh, yeah. He's constantly going crazy in the scenes, chewing scenery. You know that he loves the opportunity to talk shit to DiCaprio in this scene and to absolutely punch Damon <laughs> later. And, you know, I think well, he's the, definitely I, like embracing it. But, I mean, the Dignam character is such an oppressive force, though, too. He's, like, the guy that is telling everyone what's up and exactly like what they are i mean he does it in this scene but even later with damon he's like i run rap pricks like you he's the only person that's saying you're the rat basically in that dialogue so what do i do there's money behind this operation you won't be paid as a regular cop but there's a bonus involved tax-free we can't conceal that you were a trainee you'll be convicted of a crime we're thinking a guilty plea to assault and battery would make sense. Given your nature? You'd do enough jail time to convince anyone this is no setup. You'd be on probation, see a court-ordered shrink, the whole nine yards. You want to serve the Commonwealth, this is your chance. We need you, pal. You've already pretended to be a Costigan from South Boston. Every weekend, Sergeant. Perfect. Do it again. For me. So Queenan and Dignum want Costigan to go undercover and infiltrate Costello's crew. Sullivan and Costigan pass by each other 
early in the movie outside of Queenan's office, like when Sullivan's leaving, Costigan's waiting to go in. They don't really look at each other, but they're both there. It's like two ships in the night. That's right. Yep. Wahlberg bringing that fear energy mixed oh, yeah. with a little bit of Ryan Philippe and I Know What You Did Last <laughs> Summer. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to steal every scene. And I guess you do. I mean, you have to remember, he probably was choking him. Was making like top dollar as a box office draw at this point. He accepted the role. Obviously, he knew it was going to be like a smaller part. I think he only worked on this movie for like a few days, obviously, in right. comparison to everybody else. He's only in like five or six total scenes, I think. But he considers himself like the main Boston guy. He probably thinks he does an accent better than Damon and all that I'm stuff. I'm sure, you know? yeah. So like... Marky Mark. I love that sort of meta thing going on in the movie where it's like behind the scenes it's possible that a little bit of professional jealousy is like driving a performance to be oh, yeah, something sure. different. This whole scene is like this ball-busting interview that feels more like an interrogation where Dingham is like, I bet you're already used to having two different accents because you were a lace curtain motherfucker oh, yeah, that's during right. the week and then you had to come with your dad on the weekends and blah, blah, blah. You know, like this whole thing. He's really like driving at home. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like sort of a good cop, him. bad like, cop you thing. Duplicitous motherfucker. <laughs> it's like this good cop, bad cop thing with Queenan, who's always like the right. even keeled, like level person next to the screaming lunatic. <laughs> they set up a cover where Costin's going to serve jail time on a phony assault charge to make it seem legit and essentially prove that he flamed out of the academy and is not a cop. Don't you just want to know like what the figure, the dollar figure, is that he was going to get paid for this? Yeah, sort of. Because it's just like, I don't know, write down on a piece of paper, like it's tax-free. Now, I know that the police have probably come up with crazy shit, stuff that like sometimes is against the law or sometimes is against like common sense even, but I wonder, has this ever been attempted where they fake like know. a whole thing where they have to go into jail and all this stuff, and they're basically like not a cop but wink wink they are kind of a thing yeah which like, doesn't really make sense. I, I guess like i don't i don't know i don't understand the law sometimes but it's like it <laughs> does it seem like that this guy the stuff that he's catching them with is gonna hold up as evidence i, I don't really understand it seems like there's something underhanded happening well, here right he's not necessarily just gathering evidence i mean he's like telling them what they're doing where well, that's they're gonna true be. that's true yeah He's basically like an informant, yeah, which yeah. could be anybody. That's true, yeah. But the cousin asks, are you a cop, basically? And he, he says, no, he's not. Yeah. Because he's not really. But I then he kind of is. While Costigan's in jail, we are 18 and a half minutes into this movie, and The Departed comes up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. Just an unbelievable moment <laughs> where you're like, well, we've already had... Nicholson do a monologue. We've already had introductions to several characters. Full scenes are happening. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, here's the title shipping up yeah. to Boston and The Departed comes on screen. <laughs> Unbelievable. That, again, factors into the whole like crazy stew of this movie. It's like, oh, oh sure. yeah. And also, the title doesn't show up till almost 20 minutes right, in. Right. What was the other movie where we did it was really long? I know we did another one, and we yeah, talked about Yeah, I can't. It's escaping me. It's crazy. <laughs> it's quite a move. Costigan's Inn is ultimately going to be his cousin Sean, played by Kevin Corrigan, a familiar oh, face. Uncle Eddie seen. from uh, Grounded for Life. <laughs> what a bo- 
old. I know. Kevin Gorgon is actually, he's in a million things. Yeah, he's like a, a great character actor. I used to watch <laughs> for life sometimes. <laughs> it was like the new Full House. Okay. Yeah. Sean has low-level connections, but he's also an idiot. He's a fucking cop magnet idiot cousin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can get a meeting with some of Costello's people because of his Uncle Jackie. That's right. And the uh, reputation seeming- of his father. Jackie was seemingly beloved by these other uh, mafia types. Yeah, and Costigan's father wasn't connected, but was respected yeah, in yeah. the neighborhood. And these are people that Costello knew you're, I guess, supposed to take of like the same generation, same era. Yeah, that kind it's of like a, a Bronx Tale dynamic. Yeah. So Costigan has to do all of these various things, not not explicitly, but I guess like in his mind, in order to like rapidly gain the approval and the trust of these people. So the first thing he does is one of the more famous scenes of the movie, which is the cranberry juice scene. That's right. Because this happens in front of Mr. French, played by Ray Winstone, who is sort of, he's like a British actor. Right. He's in like... Sexy Beast. Sexy Beast and like sort of other gangster type roles, it seems like. He's like an heir apparent to like Bob Hoskins, maybe. Okay. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, yeah. I like him in this movie. I think he's great. I don't think we're going to mention him a lot because he's just sort of he's in a, a lot of these pretty scenes. one-dimensional as a character. I mean, he's enjoyable. But... Supposedly, he and Nicholson like did not get along. Oh, wow. But I know. mean, Nicholson seems like he can rub people the wrong way. I think this was like one of those sets where everybody was like pulling their dick out uh, yeah, yeah. and acting like they were the big deal. I'm sure, yeah. Is, you just kind of get that vibe. Like every, I would think, yeah. A lot of ego going on in, the, in these scenes. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the vibe of the movie is ego. Cranberry juice. It's natural diuretic. My girlfriend drinks it when she's got her period. What, do you get your period? I'm the guy that tells you there are guys you can hit, and there's guys you can't. Now, that's not quite a guy you can't hit, but it's almost a guy you can't hit. So I'm going to make a fucking rolling on this right now. You don't fucking hit him. You understand? Yeah, excellent. Fine. 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 I fucking know you. I know your family. You make one more drug deal with that idiot fucking cop magnet of a cousin of yours. And I'll forget your grandmother was so nice to me. I'll cut your fucking nuts off. You understand that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. What are you drinking? Cranberry juice. What is it, your period? Get him a cranberry juice. Hey, fuckhead, it's Jackie's nephew. What? Oh, fucking what? Get the fuck out of here. So this guy makes fun of... Costigan 
for ordering cranberry juice at the bar. And so he smashes his glass on this guy's head <laughs> in front of Mr. French. Yeah. It's further evidence Again, that he's not a cop. Anger, temper, such a big part of this movie. I mean, it's just like set off in like two seconds. Well, that's the thing. He's not really. Well, yeah. He's he just to thinks that these scene. are the things that he has to do. Because this then it will play into the whole thing with the Italian gangsters later. Yeah, but it's also like blurring the lines of like these are the things he thinks he can do or he needs to do, but also <laughs> it does seem kind of real too. Yeah, maybe. You have to have that in you to be able to do it at all. Well, he gets caught up in this life for sure. When he's attacking that guy later in the guy's apartment or whatever, and he shoots him in the knee. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's some shit going on. Dignam makes it clear to SIU that only he and Queenan will know the identity of their informants and of undercover people. And this also is a very early introduction into this whole stolen microprocessor storyline. <laughs> Costello's crew is planning to sell them to a Chinese gang. It's insane. No one knows what they're talking about. Well, they even go as far as to say in the movie that yeah. no one does. They're like, yes, microprocessors. Yes, those. Like, <laughs> this is happening. I don't know what they are. They, you don't know what they are. And then they show this insane building that says mass processors on it. And it's like a Photoshop of a building. And I'm yeah. like, really? That's the building? <laughs> right. <laughs> Terrible. But it's like it's one of those things, again, where who cares? It doesn't matter. Sure. It's not important. As Sullivan rises in the ranks in SIU, he brings alongside him another officer named Berrigan, played by James Badge Dale, who in a lot of ways is a protege of sorts, slightly younger than Sullivan. He's always sort of on the periphery when Sullivan gets to make his own yep. internal investigations crew, which doesn't seem like it would ever exist. It's such like a, a huge crew of people. I know. That they're in, like, investigating the investigating. <laughs> I don't know. It's I like, know. what's it's I don't even strange. know what's happening. But that dude is there. Berrigan, of course, is important in a sense. So I figured we would mention him now because yeah. he, he's just always just, sort of there. He's always, like, lingering behind Sullivan. In an elevator, Sullivan meets Madeline, played by Vera Farmiga. Did not see any other casting what ifs with that character although i imagine there were some it feels like it came out of nowhere at the time because there's like all these stars and like the one big female role i, I certainly wasn't familiar with vera farmiga she'd been in out. some stuff yeah i didn't really realize who she was until later in up in the air and i'm like oh that's a well she was in another movie from the uh, in in between that time running scared with paul walker oh that it. was after this i think that was between I-, I thought it was between the oh, department yeah, you might be right but although i didn't see running scared until later yeah but she looks good in that too <laughs> <laughs> just have to throw that out there yeah when you first see her on that crowded elevator she definitely jumps out oh yeah <laughs> i love these like pantsuits that she's wearing in this movie yeah Whew. she can rock a that's a power suit. move <laughs> she's a police psychiatrist and they have this conversation where Sullivan ends up holding the elevator up, which is just like a hilarious move because everyone else in the elevator is like, like, what oh the Oh, my fuck? God. I'm trying to get to my meeting. They start dating almost immediately. I will say that when they show some scenes of them actually dating and interacting, I like cringe because I'm like so embarrassed. Just I don't know. There's just something about Sullivan's character that's always kind of off-putting to me. Absolutely, yeah. He's, it's almost he like he's like always trying too hard to right. be normal. And it's like you can kind of see through it. Yep. I don't know. I could see why someone would fall for it, though, because if it's not a movie and you're assuming that the characters within a movie don't think they're in a movie, 
I could buy someone thinking he's kind of charming. He but does like, have some charm, but there's such a sliminess to it. Yeah, there's just like, I don't know. His whole like attitude about stuff is like weird. It feels like a show. Sometimes yeah. you're around people and you're getting the show, and it feels like that's what it is from him all the time. Yeah, he's like, well, I'll just arrest innocent people. I'll arrest you right now. Yeah. He's like, if that thing moves, I'm going to shoot it. And you're like, how, like right. yeah, you are kind of like, how is this chick falling for this? <laughs> This guy stinks. Well, I think we're going to learn a lot about Madeline throughout the course of oh, this yeah, movie, I think so. even though the movie is definitely not about her. It's just like you can get a lot of clues. Maybe not the most stable, healthy person ever. I'm, I'm feeling like there might be some issues there. Yeah. Costigan then beats up two Italian gangsters from Providence trying to shake down a local convenience store in Costello's area, which they're not supposed to do. Does seem insane that he would do this and again this is one of these moments where it's like okay this can get me on costello's good side it's also like this seems like it could very easily get you killed which costello says yeah later but it's just like messing with two italian mobsters seems like a bad well, when idea. it's a movie about the irish mob the italian mobsters look like seem idiots. like dopes yeah and then when it's a movie about the italian mob all the other mobsters seem that's like right dopes. Yes. it's just whoever the movie's about are the the toughest the the smart good ones <laughs> This incident seems to buy him instant cred within Costello's circles, and so he gets his first meeting with Costello at a bar. Do you know who I am? No. You met my friend, Mr. French, the other night. Real name, Mr. French? No. Come with me. I'm not the cops. I'm not asking you. You know something? They just do not stop having the mafia in Providence. And this caused me a lot of problems. Those guys you tuned up, they're connected down Providence. What they're gonna do is come back with some guys and kill you. Which sure as you're born, they will do. Unless I stop them. Do you want me to stop them? Is something I can't do personally? I'm gonna have my associates search you. No, no one's fucking searching me. Search me for what? Contra fucking band. Take your shoes off. Shoes. I knew your father. Yeah? You know he's dead? Sorry. How'd he go? Man. I didn't complain. Hicks. Yeah. That was his problem. Who said he had a problem? I just said he had a fucking problem. There's a man could have been anything. Are you trying to say that he was nothing? I'm saying he worked at the airport. 
clean arm. Yeah, come on. No, I'm my fucking arm. Show me your arm. Flip it. Makes me curious to see you in this neighborhood. He's clean. And if I can slander my own environment, it makes me sad, this uh, regression. Plus, I don't know if it's beyond some fucking cock prick like Queen to pull you out of the stadies and send you after me. I just can't know. I don't know what they do in that particular department, anyway. Are you still a cop? No! No! Swear on your mother's grave, you're still not a cop! I am not a fucking cop! Are you gonna stop doing coke deals with your jerk-off fucking cousin? Yes! Yes, yes! All right, all right. All right. You're okay, you'll be all right. Get your hand taken care of. I'm sorry. It was necessary. As for our problem with Providence, let's not cry over spilled guineas. I wanted to point out that there's two women talking at the end of the bar. Uh huh. And then Costigan sitting by himself. Okay. And then when Costello shows up, the two women like kind of stop talking. Like it's almost like animals getting quiet in the forest or something. Oh yeah, yeah. And one of those women is from Mama's family. Oh shit. Wow. <laughs> I just wanted to point what about, that Did out. you recognize her and like get on your phone? No, but like... when I was watching Mama's family <laughs> Wait a second. on DVD and I was looking at IMDBs and I was like clicking on the one it said one of her known for things was the departed. And I was like, <laughs> What? <laughs> and then it said Wom- woman in bar. Wow. And I was like, oh, wow. And then, like, she actually does have big lines role. that you hear, though. Okay. Because she's just talking to that other woman. All right, anyway. <laughs> Surprisingly, the cast of Mama's Family don't have a lot of known for credits outside of, of Mama's Family. A lot of Mama's Family talk when we're off mic. <laughs> so nice just in to, my nice, day-to-day life. Yeah, nice to get an appearance on the show. <laughs> Most people listening to this are like, what the fuck is Mama's Including Family? Including me, by the way, until like two years ago when you're like, hey, I got the complete series. You never series saw it Ma- no, on TV. I, I, and until get you fuck brought it into my life. <laughs> <laughs> now you can't get it out. That's right. It's all I think about. <laughs> well, you can go to Walmart and get that DVD set anytime well, yeah, you want. Listen, don't threaten me with a good time. Costello warns Costigan about retribution from the Italians, but basically insinuates that he has the power to protect Costigan from any fall blowback. Costello knows Costigan's family. It's a pretty cool scene. They search him. They smash his cast. Yeah. They start pounding on his broken hand. And he broke his hand in the fight with the That's right. Italians. Yep. They're pounding on it with his own boot and yelling, Are you a cop? And not the most realistic portrayal of violence in a Scorsese movie ever. He's like <laughs> hitting the table next to his arm it looks like it looks it's kind of like yeah. when de niro like stomps on that guy in the irish that's right yeah outside and you're like oof <laughs> sometimes you just gotta roll with it sure i'm good but after this whole incident in the back room of this bar that costello operates we get our first look at costello's lady gwen played by an actress named Kristen dalton who says that she has to go to choir practice yeah what do you want to say about gwen <laughs> 
Only that I've been thinking of nothing else nonstop since watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, Gwen is a, a bit of a smoke show. Gwen is a redheaded lady that is only in a few scenes. She's always sort of by Costello's side, hanging around. She's oddly religious. Right. <laughs> She's always going to choir practice or confession or something. Meanwhile, in this relationship with you know a murderer. Yeah, I think that's always yeah. how it is. I mean, The Sopranos was oh, never sure. afraid to that's right address that. Well, sort I of mean, thing too. you know, Costello says it in the beginning of the movie. I I think that's what they call a paradox. <laughs> yeah. But Gwen is great. That's yeah. all. I mean, she'll come up a little bit later. She's a, she seems like you know a supportive. I don't know. It's a good time. Are they actually mar- Are they married? I don't know. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like he'd be down for wedding I doubt vows. That they're married. Yeah, but she is reading a getting pregnant book in their apartment. Or oh, really? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, th- by the way, this was the first time I ever picked up on that. Where there's a part where she's reading a book and they're talking, and the wow. title of the book is getting pregnant. <laughs> I love it. That's right. Yeah, I wasn't too familiar with Kristen Dalton's work outside of this. Uh, yeah. It seems like she was mostly a TV actress, or is. I, I mean, took a look at... still sort of active out there. Wikipedia, not a lot in that known for section. Very beautiful. Absolutely, that. yeah. Known for that, certainly. <laughs> As Costigan goes deeper undercover and gets closer and closer to Costello, his emotional state declines... There's that scene with the severed hand, for existence. Oh, that's right, yeah. For for example, where Costigan seems unprepared for sort of the level of violence. And well, yeah, and this is when he's like actually wearing a wire, right? And yes. And it's like, never again after this. Yeah, because he, of course, because of his stress over doing stuff like that, he interprets things potentially as messages to him. That's right, Like, yeah. he doesn't know what is going on. Yeah, yeah. There's an unpredictability to Costello in general that is hard to deal with well this guy seems like he could kill me just for anything yeah not for like being an informant just because it's tuesday hey what do you think you could pop somebody and there's a special card to play that guy jimmy bags whose jaw you broke happens to work undercover for the boston police department i'm going fucking nuts man i can't be someone else every fucking day it's been a year of this i've had enough of this shit calm down all right most of the people in the world do it every day what's the big deal i'm not them all right i'm not fucking them okay exactly you're nobody you signed the papers remember now, we're the only two people on the face of this earth that even know you're a cop. How about we just erase your file, huh? How about that? How about we erase your file and then bang, you're just another soldier for Costello, open to arrest for I don't know how many felonies, huh? What do you say we do that, Captain? How about I fucking kill you, huh? How about I fucking kill you? That was a joke. Come on. It wasn't a joke. Just because you play a tough guy doesn't mean you are when you lace curtain Irish fucking pussy. Hey, hey! Stop it! Break it up! Fuck you! Stop it! Fuck you, motherfucker! God, God damn it! Stop it! That's an order! For Christ's sake, be smart. If anybody's watching us now, how are we not supposed to arrest you? Come on, get in the car. Bobby, you get in the car! When are you gonna take Costello, huh? I mean, what's wrong with taking him on any one of the million fucking felonies that you've seen him do or I've seen him do? I mean, I mean, he murdered somebody, right? The guy fucking murders somebody and you don't fucking take him. What are you waiting for, honestly? I mean, do you want him to chop me up and feed me to the poor? Is that what you guys want? No, that might stick. Will you shut up? We are building a case, and it takes time. You know that. Something's wrong. I'm I'm telling you, something's wrong. Yeah, maybe. Queen and Indignum tell him that there is an informant in the Special Investigations Unit and plead with Costigan 
to keep his cover until the deal takes place because right. they really think they're going to bust him on this microprocessor yeah, thing, yeah. which of course they don't. But this is a huge red flag for Costigan because if there is a rat in the SIU, That's that true. means his identity is potentially at risk, at risk to yeah. being revealed at any time. Sullivan seemingly doing enough to evade suspicion within the department. He seems to help out at various points, but then never quite works out, like that kind of a thing. He does that lawyer bit with one of Costello's guys. I think that's Fitzy, right? That's right, yeah. It actually really benefits Costello, but it appears to bend the rules to benefit the police. It's actually like I know, one yeah. of those genius moves where it's like, oh, look, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing to help us. Right, But right. really, I'm helping them. That's right. By letting him tip off that there's going to be a raid and to get out of there. Yep. <laughs> look how they just set the building on fire. It's like <laughs> yeah. Way over the top. As time goes by, we start to learn a little bit more about Sullivan. Him and Madeline now are dating. They're potentially going to be moving in together the first sign that there might be some problems there sexually impotence is hinted at. I love like during that scene, Madeline like picks up a banana and starts eating (laughs) the banana. You're like, could this be any more (laughs) in our face? (laughs) It's the what's going on. And then just out of nowhere, we discover that Costigan is seeing Madeline professionally as part of his probation for his phony arrest. You're like, wait, what? Like all of a sudden we're in her office and, there's a patient, and then it's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> that one appointment that they have, because it's sort of confusing if you're not really paying attention. Like, they really only have one appointment, and then he actually does get referred I to know, a different I th- doctor. Well, because I think I, it feels like he's been seeing her for a while, but then, I don't know. Again, I don't know. Is, I thought that was the first appointment, but I'm not I, sure. I kind of think you're right, but I don't know. Just timeline-wise. Yeah, it seems like it should have happened already. Right. But yeah, of course I love the part when he's just like, how about you give me a bottle of scotch and a handgun so I can blow my brains out when she offers to give him one pill? (laughs) Yeah. It's unclear what she knows or believes about him because at one point, I feel like he, it might not be during that appointment, but at some point he does say that he's a cop. Well, yeah. Well, I think that might be like a coffee shop or something. Typically a police shrink. I think he makes mention that he kicked him out of the academy, I think is what he says to her. Right. So I guess that she doesn't, I I don't know. Sometimes like when you watch a movie the first time you start thinking different things and then you sort of like stick with that until you watch it like a fourth time and you're really paying attention. So I do think that there was a time period where I thought that she knew that he was undercover, but right. that doesn't make any sense. Like why would she know that? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Like sometimes you just convince yourself of things and it's not like this movie's really taking the time to explain stuff. You're just sort of jumping from one thing to another. Yeah. Now, you do think that she's got to have some fucking problems because he doesn't come off as particularly charming in their office visit. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? But he's he looks pre- like Leonardo DiCaprio. That, exactly. So it's okay. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty aggressive with her. And then he's just like, all right, you want to get coffee? And she's like, yeah, sure. Costigan is inching towards a breakdown. For he- sure. He wants Valium so that he can sleep. He's under so much stress that he is throwing up and not able to sleep and all this stuff. When she puts the two sample tablets on the table, he says, why don't you just give me a bottle of scotch and a handgun? And at one point he yells at her, you're fucking ridiculous. (laughs) I know you have to come here, but now that you're here, what do you want? 
You want the truth? Valium. Oh, you know, if you lied, you would have an easier time getting what you wanted. <laughs> What's that say about what you do for a living? I just think we should have a few more meetings before we even talk about prescriptions. Look, look. I'm having panic attacks, all right? The other night I thought I was having a fucking heart attack. I puked in a trash barrel on the way over here. I haven't slept for fucking weeks. Is that true? Yeah, that's true, all right? I said something fucking true. I want some fucking pills, and you're gonna what? You're gonna you're gonna close my file? I didn't Is that what you're gonna your do? File. I, I know. I, I, know. I thought I was supposed to tell the truth here, you if are. only fucking you here. You are. Christ, yes. I mean, a guy okay. comes in here against every, every instinct of, of privacy, of self-reliance that he has, and what do you do? What do you do, huh? You send him off on the street to score smack? Is that what you do? You're fucking ridiculous. Two pills? Great. Why don't you just give me a bottle of scotch and a handgun to blow my fucking head off? Are we done here with this psychiatry bullshit? You know what? You what, can what leave. What the fuck did I just put myself through? I'm fucking out of here. And what if that was a legitimate threat? Think about it, fucking hot shot. It spills out to the outside because she follows him and she does write him a prescription, but then she says, I'm referring you to a different psychiatrist. I don't want to see you again. Yeah, yeah. And then as she's walking away, he's like, so you want to get a cup of coffee? Right. And then she turns around. Yeah, let's do it. So not only is he like an animal, she has a boyfriend. By too. the way, when you see something like this when you're like, uh, I don't know, 19 years old or whatever I, I was at the time, you're just kind of like, oh, this is how it is as an adult. <laughs> Maybe back in 2006. All right, let's get back to those microprocessors. Everyone's eagerly anticipating the We're microprocessors. We're head over what that is. The police prepare to catch Costello selling the stolen goods to the Chinese gang. They have surveillance. The info is from Costigan. But it all comes as a surprise to Sullivan, who really didn't have enough time to accurately assess the situation and then pass that information on to Costello, which is what he usually does. Right. You'd think maybe at some point Queen or Ellaby or somebody would be like, why is this guy always calling his dad and saying he's not going to be home for dinner? Like, isn't he 40 years <laughs> yeah, old? Like, what's happening right now? But anyway, he calls Costello. He's like, hi, dad. And then during the chain of events with... Costello and the crew showing up to this abandoned parking garage and then meeting this gang there and everything. In his jacket pocket, Sullivan is doing this T9 pocket texting that yeah. seems almost impossible. I, I would agree. I would say with like an iPhone there was, or something, it would be 100% impossible. Yeah, there was attempts at this type of stuff from me. Uh, you know, then I pull the phone out and it, it says like, I was trying to type like a three-letter word and it's like eight digits. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it seems like you would have to practice it stuff like this forever to get good at it. Because he's like not only just texting, he's navigating like the old menus of these flip phones and everything. Yeah, insane. A lot of flip phones in this movie. That's right. This whole situation with showing up to sell these microprocessors begs the question, which will come up in the movie itself later on, but it's sort of something you might wonder as a viewer the whole time, which is why is Costello directly involved in these deals why is he showing up in well, person and costigan does basically confront him about that at some so point. so does sullivan yeah. later at the end it's that's like, true yeah why he keeps doing this and there's never really a good answer <laughs> no but I, I think it his summary of like i haven't needed the money and i don't need pussy anymore either but i it's like what it makes them feel yeah, alive right exactly I guess, yeah be in the shit yep Despite the cameras, the deal ends up taking place in a blind spot, which essentially allows everyone to escape. 
because they wanted to have him on camera and then they didn't realize that the back side of this thing was up against the river and everyone's basically able to escape by boat. Right. I mean, the scene is ludicrous. Insane. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yet Oh my gosh, though, like Alec Baldwin is so good. And the, the meltdown yeah. on the police side is unbelievable. Well, especially because it kind of slowly unravels. <laughs> they think they got this thing all set up, and then they're just it's like slowly dawning on them that they're <laughs> gonna come away with nothing. Yeah. If this whole sequence was a baseball game, then Baldwin went like four for four with four grand slams. Oh, yeah. Because he has like that whole thing. He's like, what are you, a fitness freak? You don't smoke? Go fuck yourself. Yeah, that's Like right. that whole thing. He has that part where he's like, we're surveilling all the phone calls. And he's like, Patriot Act, Patriot Act. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The best, though, is him beating up the guy that set up the cameras. Can I talk being... to you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> and then even before that, that dude's like, he says to Dingham, he's like, who are you? And oh, yeah. he's like, I'm the guy who does my job. You must be the other guy. <laughs> that guy just, oh, I know. just he gets blamed for everything. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he's just getting ripped apart. Yeah. And I mean, there's genuine frustration on both sides out of this microprocessors event, even though it went better for Costello because he doesn't get caught. But it becomes clear to everyone what's happening after this, basically. That's right. Yeah. Sullivan and Madeline move in together. But it's clear that something beyond the professional is now going on between her and Costigan because we're seeing her meeting up with him several times. Coffee and you're dates. like, what is happening here? Right. Because it's like, oh, they're talking about her having a boyfriend and he's asking her about it. But it seems like they're sort of connecting on a level that she's not really connected to Sullivan with. Mm-hmm. Feels like uh, there's an inappropriate relationship. Uh, she's got an emotional friend. Yeah. <laughs> they're texting one four three back and forth <laughs> everyone is aware that there are two <laughs> one four three <laughs> i love you yeah. <laughs> oh god what a world everyone is aware that there are two rats but the identities are completely guarded by the people who know them queen and indignum know who costigan is and Costello himself seems to be the only one aware of Sullivan's identity. We never have any indication that anyone else knows. Right. Ever. Costello tasks Sullivan to uncover the rat within his gang. So Sullivan asks for information, date of births, social security numbers, etc. to cross-reference his crew members yeah. in the Massachusetts State Police database. As a criminal, by the way, like not suspect at all. It's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go <laughs> ask all these guys to provide these records, which I do think is actually a funny line when DiCaprio is like, what is he opening IRAs for us? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think if you are the rat in the group at that point, you know oh, yeah. what's going on. Right. Which again, at that point, he's the only person that leaves. Well, he does give his information, though. I know. But, but he has to have faith and confidence that Queen and Indignum have not dropped the ball to the point where this search would, would bring anything back That's true. about him. Like, yeah. He has to just believe that. Right. Because how many times in the world, through like clerical errors or some bullshit, would this get fucked up? Absolutely. And then it brings back that, yes, Well, it's like records system. upon records and backups of backups. Meanwhile, in this movie, I love the part when he actually just deletes the record and you're just like, oh, okay, it's just gone. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so he just hits delete. Yeah. <laughs> 
don't get me started. We'll get to that. Okay, like, okay, the whole yeah. thing with that scene where Kosigan finally comes in, there's some things that don't make I sense know, about it. The ending of this movie is like, you just sort of have to ignore a lot yeah, to just get through it. I know I'm jumping around more than usual, but there's just so many fun things to talk about for this movie. In the midst of a violent collection for Costello, Costigan learns that Frank is actually a protected FBI informant, which is why he never gets busted. And now this is the connection to Whitey Bulger. Yeah. Because who knows? I mean, there's conflicting stories, but supposedly Whitey Bulger was actually an FBI informant too, in addition to being a gangster. And there was like the... The crooked FBI agent well, I and the like whole deal. Kind of some of these state police guys are being like hoodwinked by the FBI because they actually show that the one FBI agent, you know, that they show yeah. the whole movie. Like there's a part where Queenan and Dignan are confronting Costello and that FBI agent is like with them. Like the part that's like down on the pier or whatever. And he's like, if you excuse me, I have a date with some angels or whatever. That's how yeah, like, the yeah. scene ends. Like the one FBI agent is like in that scene briefly. And then when they show the picture of Costello giving information to the FBI, it's that guy. <laughs> so when Costello asks for the information from his crew, they all put it in this envelope, and Fitzy starts writing citizens on the envelope, and he can't spell it. That's right. So then Costigan takes it, crosses out what Fitzy does. It's this way to make it like so there's no mistaking. It has to look exactly yeah, a yeah, certain right. way. This, this, um, so he this crosses it out. And he writes citizens. Of course, Fitzy's like, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> and the live version of Comfortably Numb kicks in here. We okay, start hearing yeah. that during the scene where he's like, I'm leaving or whatever. He's not supposed to leave. But it's a very distinct looking envelope, just to say that. I mean, for those of you who have seen the movie, you know why. Right. I guess in this time, this is what we were talking about with the time frames not always like making sense. Because then he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to go over to Madeline's apartment now. Yeah, it seems like it's late at night it seems like it's all in one night but yeah at this point madeline's like already started the process of moving in with sullivan but she still has stuff at her old apartment as you mentioned there's a box of stuff that seemingly was already over at sullivan's place and now it's back or whatever who knows madeline talks about costigan's vulnerability oh you know what i love too in this scene is when she's like or he asks like sorry if this isn't appropriate or whatever and she's like it's not inappropriate. You're not a patient. And it's like, well, <laughs> it can be inappropriate for other reasons. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, she wants this to right, happen. Right, exactly. I think the idea, like, the very, like, layman's approach to it is she's not getting fucked. And she doesn't know why. I think sometimes in those situations, unfortunately, and that, I mean, you know, I'm not talking about rocket science here. It's pretty straightforward. It's sometimes women tend to blame themselves even though obviously it has nothing to do with the woman right so she's probably very like unhappy and freaked out about what's happening yeah and she, and there's clear attention that she's getting here yeah and now this other attractive guy is like super into it and as we mentioned and this could factor into what we were talking about with the weird date scenes maybe she is like this guy's kind of weird yet she hasn't been able to like crystallize that thought all together and be like this guy's weird something's wrong right but it's like something under the surface sullivan is sort of off yeah and if something feels off it usually is that usually something's wrong and there's like this primal 
<laughs> sexual energy going on here. That's right. It's just like, yeah, she's attracted to this vulnerability. But the vulnerability thing is great because he's like, I don't even know if I'm being real anymore. I've lost myself. And this is sort of like the themes of the movie with That's the right. true face yeah. and identity and honesty. And Well, it's weird. It feels like it's an identity crisis that sends him down this rabbit hole, but it feels like it spins him even further away. It seems from... like it's getting him chicks yeah. in this scene where he's like, all right, I'm I want gonna... to be like, this is the identity I wanted. You play the hand you're dealt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if this is working, then we're doing it. She's cute, but let's be honest, she's a terrible therapist. I mean, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> I mean, she like, what is going on? Yeah, I mean, that's I, this would be like career suicide. <laughs> yeah, this guy was in prison. That's yeah. all she knows. That well, he's, it's like, kind of like the surprise. I mean, what, what we need to see is like Peter Bogdanovich is her therapist that she goes <laughs> to see. <laughs> yeah, I tweeted out a little portion of my notes. Yeah, I, I did see this. It caught fire on the internet. Yeah. People were really liking it. I looked down at my notes at what I had written, I don't know, a few minutes after this scene, and I was just like, that's hilarious that I wrote that. Yeah, I think Lindsay showed it to me. My only reaction was, he's right, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so basically Madeline and Koskin have sex, and I wrote, very hot. <laughs> <laughs> because there's no nudity or anything like that, but it is like... But whatever this little number is that she's wearing with this like, see-through bra. and like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There is a see-through bra. <laughs> I was like, underwear, yeah, basically. Right, yeah. Even like later, and I know we're jumping around again, but when she gives some good news, potentially, to Sullivan and they're in bed, and it's like almost the end of the movie, there's just something about Vera Farmiga and these love scenes with what she does with her legs that feels very sexy to me. The, You know, the whole like Yeah, I'm not going to discredit this. That's right. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's a move that, It's really doing something for me, personally. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, in the background, it's just like, the distant smoke (laughs) is on the horizon. I mean, it's starting to crank up. Like, the volume, (laughs) you know, somebody, like, at the mixing board, like, pushing all the levers forward. When I was a child, (laughs) I got a bleeding. (laughs) Like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I was, like, thrown, I think, because, yeah, I mean, I was, like, in college... When I saw this movie, I think probably I should have graduated, maybe, or that should have been the year I graduated, but you know, I was dragging it out. <laughs> One of and, the years you should have graduated. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, so I wasn't like super experienced with everything. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on with this song? Like, why is this happening? <laughs> like, wh- this is not how it sounded to me. I was I'm probably not even aware it's like a live version. I'm just like, is this someone oh, yeah. else doing it? Well, I just knew it was a live version because, again, I don't know how long it was before, but I did see this on TV. When they had this Pink Floyd like live concert thing. After this, there's sort of a memorable scene at like a driving range with Sullivan and Ellerby. Ellerby hilarious in this scene. Just yeah. drinking a straight Budweiser can on like a Sunday afternoon or something. <laughs> the driving range. How's your wedding coming along? Great. Great. She's a doctor. Oh, that's outstanding. Yeah. Marriage is an important part of getting ahead. Let's people know you're not a homo. Every guy seems more stable. People see the ring, they think at least somebody can stand the son of a bitch. Ladies see the ring, they know immediately you must have some cash and your cock must work. That's <laughs> <laughs> <X> working. <laughs> Overtime. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, thank you. People don't trust people with an immaculate record. I have an immaculate record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's people know someone can stand the son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> or at least that his dick works. Yeah. Oh, it's working. Overtime. Overtime. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm very happy to hear that. This is where Sullivan is now put in charge of finding Costello's mole within the department. So he's basically in charge of finding himself. Right. Because that's how much faith the other people have in him. It's a little. Which, ho- I mean, that line is very ob- like obvious when he's like, "I gotta find myself." <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, well, it's a little bit easier to believe that the police would be interested in Sullivan being promoted and trusting Sullivan so much. I think, as we've discussed both on mic and off, it's a little harder to buy how much trust Costello ends up putting in. Costigan, I think Monaghan and Scorsese were probably relying on the idea of Costigan's uncle and father. Yeah, and I do think that there is something to the whole looking at him like a son thing. Yeah, they do try the disinformation thing, and that's supposed to be like the big moment where Costello's like, all right, well, it's not him. Yeah. And he just like rules him out. And he seems like relieved, by the way. Yeah. It is a pretty subtle but good performance from Nicholson because he seems happy that it's not him. Yeah. Costigan trails Costello to a porno theater and witnesses him giving Sullivan that citizen's envelope, although he doesn't see that it's Sullivan. Right, right. And I don't even know if he knows what is being handed when off people here point for sure. this what. out in support of the Sullivan is gay narrative. He looks uncomfortable in the scene. Now, obviously... Would you sh- just be comfortable, though, at this porno no, theater? No, no, but the, they show... I think they. it's kind of position in a way that he looks up at the screen at a time it was like a woman doing something sexual cuts back to him and he's kind of like shifting around in his yeah. seat nervously <laughs> or, or kind of not into it yeah for me i think I, I i will say though yes you would just it would be insane to actually ever be in one of these places i think for me the bigger things on if he's gay even like beyond just the impotency thing which i always wrote off to stress before i picked up on this other stuff is sure there's that incident after the rugby game but then like his interactions with women there's one in uh, like a hallway and then there's one in a meeting room it's i think maybe right before dignum is telling them about the microprocessors there's just like a a pretty woman at the table and they have like this eye contact thing yeah yeah. just like his reactions to these things seem off and weird like he doesn't really know what to do and is like uncomfortable with it so it's almost like he might be gay, but it's like he's so in the closet, maybe, that he doesn't even really know what any of it means. Sure. Like, he just doesn't even know how to, like, behave at all in the in this sense, because it doesn't seem like he's sneaking off to fulfill any kind of urges. No, no, It's just yeah, sort of right. like he's in denial about everything in his life. Yeah. Costello's stuff is much more out in the open where he's just like talking about whiffing asses getting a whiff of asses and crawling up asses yeah. and so you're like jesus christ via text queenan instructs costigan to get a visual id of sullivan before making an arrest but even as he follows sullivan outside of the theater he's unable to ever see his face and this well, is like a pretty cool he's closing scene. In. he's closing yeah it is it is a really awesome like i guess set piece for the movie like this little on foot pursuit but it does seem fucking insane that he has his phone on ring yeah because that's the thing that ruins he's kind of closing in on him right right and then that's what ruins it but it's officially like this cat and mouse thing because he has to be careful that he doesn't get id'd and end up not getting them right right like it has to be all or nothing he can't like fuck it up halfway because then his life is in danger right and that's the difference if sullivan gets busted he's getting arrested if Kosigan gets busted, he'll be killed and cut up into pieces or right. something. Like, <laughs> chop, it's a, me up, it's a, chop me up and feed me to the poor? It's a little different. 
Sullivan realizes that he's being followed because of the ringer and then prepares to stab Costigan, but ends up killing a poor Chinese food delivery guy just walking around by accident. That would be me. That's me in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Killed in an alley. Right. <laughs> Sullivan then flees the scene entirely, crossing through a busy intersection. He later realizes that he and Costigan have been captured by an outdoor security camera, and he tries cross-referencing officers, but ultimately cannot recognize Costigan on camera. Seems a little questionable. Wouldn't you be like, maybe I can get this a copy of this to Costello and he can figure out which person he thinks it is from his crew? He has kind of a different body shape than a lot of the other people. <laughs> it's possible, yeah. I'm going to say it's not Frenchy. Yeah, especially since later Queenan confirms that it was the undercover right. guy. But yeah, there's a lot of moments like that in this movie where it's like, why don't people take information to someone else? Yeah, they, yeah. There's times where all characters have opportunities to just like, Take this to someone else. Well, I do think there. I do think there is something to that with the Sullivan character a little bit because I kind of get this sense that like he is always trying to figure out a way to get out of this too. Yeah, maybe. Like he's got to have some sort of. Well, I think it's more of like, and this will come up even more later in the movie. But I think number his number one priority at a certain point is always self preservation. Yeah, and that's not exactly how. Costello would draw it up in his mind. Right. Like his number one priority should be like loyalty to the crew and loyalty to him, Costello. But I, yeah, I think there's definitely times where it is this thing that like, and I think it's a little bit revealing in that scene where he's talking to Madeline about trying to start a new life, yeah. going to be a lawyer. And so, cause I do think it's this thing that's like hanging over his head. That's like, I think he starts angling at a certain point. Do I have to show all my cards to Costello all the time? Because at some point, I, it's like, I just want to get away from this. Right. Yeah, there has to be an exit strategy. This can't go on indefinitely. Right. Costello accuses Costigan of being the rat. Costigan denies. It's a pretty memorable scenery-chewing scene for Nicholson versus the earnest authenticity of DiCaprio. You have Nicholson like imitating a rat, doing a rat face. Oh, I know. Like, yeah, he's got that giant drawing of That's all like those rats. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's so over the top. It's gnawing. <laughs> but I think like why it works is because he's playing off of such a straight guy. There's just a deathly serious approach from DiCaprio. Like you believe that he believes his life is in danger. Right. It's not a joke, and so. No matter how far Nicholson pushes this performance, yeah. you're always like, it's real because of who he's acting against. That's right. Yeah. And again, this is it's another one of those great scenes where we as the audience can see the uncomfortableness and fear in DiCaprio's face. Yeah. What did you say before we started recording? He's, he's the like, greatest face actor of all time. I think it's true. He's like so good at like displaying emotion just from like his facial expressions. Queen advises Sullivan to follow Costello to find the mole. And so things start really coming at us fast and furious. It, uh, it starts getting a little bit confusing. Who's the mole? What's happening? Who's following who? Because almost immediately things will escalate here. Madeline and Sullivan are kind of on the rocks. This is one of your favorite scenes. <laughs> it's where Sullivan's like, it's got to be you that gets out. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Come on, if there's ever been an, a line from a movie that's resonated with me, I'm Irish. I'll live with something being wrong for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm not Irish, but like I am from Massachusetts. <laughs> Come on. 
that's Matt Crosby for you. Costello runs some disinformation through Costigan, but it doesn't reach Sullivan. So now they trust Billy Boy again within Costello's crew. It all happens pretty quickly. They're like, okay, well, I guess it's not him. <laughs> Costigan wants to meet up with Queenan, but at the same time, Sullivan, pretending to have info that Queenan is the mole, has Queenan tailed by some cops. And this sets up an unbelievably great scene. Oh, yeah. From the setup to the payoff, everything. This is suspense, building. It escalates to another level now. There's a part in the movie, I think, where the priest says it to Costello, pride comes before the fall. Yes. And it that's like, I mean, I think that rings true for a lot of characters in this movie, but it's like dead on with the whole Queenan thing because they stop and he's like, are you sure you don't have a tail? And Queenan's like, no, I wouldn't have a tail. And then, of course, you know, we end up, you know, it literally is a fall. Scorsese signified that death was approaching by using X's on the screen. And I think once you know that and you pay attention to sort of the big deaths in the movie, you can see like X's in the architecture, X's on the streets or signs or whatever. This building is insane, by the way. Yeah. Like, the, I love that the address is, like, spray-painted on a piece of, like, board. Like, well, I'm assuming to... because you can see buildings in the background that they actually filmed this stuff in Boston. Yeah. Because most of the movie was filmed have, in New York. They redid a big part of, like, the waterfront area in Boston. I was there a couple years ago, and it was, like, way different from when I was a kid. And this seems kind of that, like, this area of, like, just old warehouse buildings. Oh, you that... mean the building where this happened isn't still there? <laughs> we can't visit it. <laughs> I think like most of this movie for a tax credit was filmed in New York, but some of the exterior stuff is really Boston yeah. to make it look legitimate. Right. Like and where the state I'm assuming this building part is. is. Because they use this building again at the yeah. end, and it's like, why use this same building? It's like, oh, well, they probably filmed this p- sequence and the ending, or tor- you know that part towards the ending, again, all in like a couple of days. They're like, well, we got this building. Let's just film everything now. Yeah, right. We're using it for it two scenes. It seems like it. It seems <laughs> like it is Boston. Costigan and Queenan meet on the rooftop of an abandoned building. In an office back at police headquarters, Sullivan remains in contact with both Costello and the cops that are tailing Queenan. Costello dispatches his men to where Costigan and Queenan are meeting, knowing that the rat will be there. So they feel like they've trapped him by following Queenan. They're like, all right, Sullivan basically took Queenan's advice for Costello, right. it's but another turned one it onto like, himself. Dramatic irony, uh, just another example of it. But as the crew is on their way there, Costigan gets the call too, because remember, they trust Costigan. They think Costigan is not the rat, so right. of course he gets the call to be there. Boggs from Shawshank <laughs> yeah. gives Costigan the wrong address which 314 i'm proud to say i noticed the first time i saw the movie good because they say 344 like three times right and it is in big like spray painted letters and then he's just like 314 and i'm like that's not the right address and of course that sort of comes back up a little bit the cops are positioned in an unmarked car outside the building sullivan telling them to wait queenan helps costigan escape via the fire escape because Costello's men are using both the stairs and the elevator in the building, because they've arrived, obviously, before they could get out. Queenan confronts the goons and is then thrown from the building to his death, landing right in front of Costigan, who has now made it to the ground level outside. And so he's stunned, standing there. Oh, yeah. Great reaction from him, because it is just like, holy fucking shit. (laughs) Yeah. 
He's visibly upset by it. He has to join up with Costello's men as they now come outside and act like nothing's wrong. Dad, something just came off the building. What do you mean something came off the building? Go again with that. Dad, something came off the fucking roof. So I don't know a what it was. Fucking body. Dad, we can't get a visual. Do you want us to get out of the car? We gotta get on foot if you want me to get up on this thing. Where the fuck were you? What the fuck happened? You're fucking late! Get in the van! What do you mean something came off the roof? What the fuck's going on? I Where came to meet you! What the Get fuck's in the van! Get in the van! I don't know, Sarge, but I got four round men right out front. You want us to pursue? No, do not pursue. Stay in the car. I, I, no fucking pursue! I need some information. What came off the roof? There's no pursuit! Bullshit. Fuck this. Against Sullivan's orders, the cops open fire on Costello's crew as they attempt to flee. Boggs from Shawshank is shot in the chest. So this whole incident sets off a wild chain of yeah, events. Yeah, this seems crazy that this would happen, that the, that criminals would do this, because you're killing such a high-ranking yeah, police officer. Yeah, it does seem like the fallout should be more than it is. Yeah, and like what we know from movies, usually when something like this happens, like they just go all out to take these outfits down yeah really the only noticeable change is that sullivan warns yeah costello that they're not going to be subtle now that they're coming for them but it seems like they wouldn't even bother with like the tails and all that shit right. like they pretty much know what happened they have police witnesses outside yeah that saw this go down but like again you're not even clear on how much time there is between this incident and the end of the movie right like, right it could be two days it could be Two weeks. It's like, I, who knows? Costigan is now almost floating out there on his own because Queenan was really like his tether to this whole plan and everything. Right. So now he's really only got Dignum, but that'll only be temporarily. <laughs> First, Queenan dies. Second, Dignum either resigns or is suspended or who knows after a meltdown where That's he right. attacks. Seems like all the above, maybe. Sullivan for having Queenan followed. So do you know why Queenan went into that building? No. no. A better question is why the fuck were your guys following him? I told internal investigations to follow Captain Queen. Why? That's internal investigations business. Fucking piece of shit! Anybody. I can fucking investigate anybody I fucking want to. Come on. I don't give a fuck what you think. 
Captain, I got reason to believe that Quinny got killed by his own fucking undercover. That's a fucking lie. He has fucking information in a locked file, as did Captain Queen, and I need access to those files. Yeah, I forgot the password, but if you want to come down to the garage with me, I'd be happy to give it to you. That's a fucking lie. Nobody calls me a liar. Uh, shut up! Work with the tech guys to unlock those files. Think I'm take a leave of absence. Take a leave of what? Queenan is dead. I'm your boss now. I don't give a fuck. I'd rather hand in my papers first. World needs plenty of bartenders. Two weeks with pay. Good. Fuck off. I need those codes. No. You want those codes. I yeah. did want a little more clarification because Wikipedia and even Sullivan himself refer to it as Dignam resign. Which he's in the scene, he's basically threatening to resign. But then Ellerby's like two weeks with pay, with pay, like a, a paid suspension, right? Because I feel like his severance would not be something you could just announce. And I don't think you would. <laughs> you, I, that would take like if a you're lot truly more resigning. I don't usually think a severance comes with that, right? And if there was one because of like the union or something, that would have to be something that would be beyond anyone just announcing it out loud, that's like true. right then. Yeah, I always took it that Ellerby was suspending him. Yeah, that's why it's confusing. I'm like. And then when Sullivan says it, I'm always thinking to myself, I'm like, did he, like, have time to think about this and then decided to resign? Oh, you mean Dignam? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know. They get into the fight. Well, he's just like, Dignam's gone, acting like he's never going to come back. Well, no, he actually says, Dignam's gone. He fucking resigned. He says that to Costello later. Because he's pissed that they killed Queenan because there's no way to tell who the rat is without Queenan and Dignam. Right. It, something that actually fucks over Costigan, in a sense, also fucks over Sullivan because he's like, well, how else am I going to know who it is now? They're the only two that knew. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is confusing. I don't know. It's a funny scene because he just basically attacks Sullivan, Dignam does. And yeah. it's like Wahlberg is so huge oh, compared yeah. to like Damon. You're like, he's going to kill him. Because <laughs> <laughs> like at one point, everyone's holding both of them back and... It seems like they're both yelling, like, let him go or whatever. It's like, really? You want, to, <laughs> yeah, you, really. want, you want them to let him go? Dignam's like, oh, I forgot the password, but if you want to go down to the garage, I'll give it to you or whatever. <laughs> but I like how Matt Damon's reaction to that. Oh, is, that's a lie. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, no shit. Well, it seems like maybe a lot of that fight sequence was, like, improvised, yeah, what they're ha- saying, because it just seems like they're just yelling stuff. Right, right. It's- but it makes him seem even more pathetic and wormy. Like, I'll investigate whoever the fuck I want. He's just, like, whining. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not a good look. No. You mentioned it before that Dignum sort of uses the word rat in relation to Sullivan at one point. Do you think he, like, really, truly suspects Sullivan, or do you think he's just pissed? I don't think he really suspects Sullivan I just think that the character is that. <laughs> like, that he just is calling everybody what they really are. Does this factor into the end of the movie, or do you assume that Costigan I, somehow... I always took it that he didn't really f- put it all together until Costigan got killed. And the fact that Sullivan survived all of that, he was like, "This, it's this guy. Yeah. That's the way I always interpreted it. Third, what happened at the abandoned building looks bad to Costello's crew for Bill... He was late, and more importantly, Boggs, a.k.a. Delahunt, which is his actual character name, <laughs> he remembers that he gave... I don't know why he knows that he gave him the wrong well, I thought he did. I thought it was supposed to be implied that he did it on purpose. I don't know. It's hard to understand like, what he's he, saying in that dying that, moment. Like, this was a test. 
for Costigan. Yeah, but when he's talking to Costigan later, he thinks he goes, that they are. He thinks that they're going to kill the person. So why would you? I don't know. I, it is hard to. I do think it was an accident because I think he says, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what he says in those like dying moments. But either way, before he can. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't say that he messed it up on purpose. He's like, I know that whoever wasn't going to be there was the rat. And I, but I accidentally gave you the wrong number, but you right. were there anyway. Meaning, because if he, if it was a test. Yeah. Then wouldn't have he gone to three fourteen? Or are you saying like he gave him the wrong address to see if he would be there anyway? But that seems like way too. I know that can't be right. I know that's <laughs> Delahunt not right. doesn't seem like he's thinking that. No, but there is a ahead. whole thing. There's a whole. Have you seen this at all? There is a whole like extended scene of the Delahunt thing on the couch where he talks to Costigan. I, don't know. I can't remember what it all is, so it's not worth getting into. But it is on YouTube, like the extended scene, and he says like more. Okay. But anyway, he dies before yeah. he can reveal what he's learned about Costigan. But he does say in his dying thing, like, tell me why I didn't tell them, which is implying something else. Do you think he really was a cop? I don't know. I feel like they want to leave you guessing with it. Yeah, because there's that scene where the police put it on the news that he yeah. was a cop. And Costello's like, they're just saying he was a cop so that I'll stop looking right. for a cop. Which seems believable. Yeah, too. and I never really yeah. questioned it, but now you're like, well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe. I don't think he really is, but I think that they just keep doing these things to keep Fuck you on your people. toes. Yeah, yeah, and it is weird that they were able to find the body so fast, especially since Fitzy is claiming that he actually like dragged it all the way out there or whatever. <laughs> Which is a funny scene. Or do you think that Costigan told them where the body was? I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to take out of all of it. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like everything just is flying at you. You're like, well, what is the explanation but the, for some right. of this stuff? If Delahunt really was a cop, that almost seems like too much, too many twists. Yeah, like, but I, it would balance out like the end of the movie. True. Yeah. And you're like, oh, there's like, but I, it doesn't hammer hard enough home. Where, you're like, like wait, are so like, up on that. like, I've never heard people say that Delahunt may have actually been a cop. Yeah. I don't think it's talked about a lot, so no. I don't know that it's hitting hard enough to like i agree yeah convey that unless you're saying in the extended scene it's more obvious or something which I, again i i can't remember what that all is i can't remember is. if i've watched that or not but he says he does say tell me why i didn't tell them or tell me why i didn't say anything i think i always have a hard time understanding what he's saying yeah <laughs> but before anything else happens he dies yeah and then that's when sullivan's on the phone with costello and he's saying like why the fuck did you do this and now yeah, Dignam's quit, and then Costello's like, "We'll give him a whiff of my ass, yeah, right? He won't be able to stop himself from crawling up in it." And then he gets, <laughs> and then he gets off the phone, and he says to Gwen, "He's like, you're giving me a hard on." And she's like, "Are you sure it isn't all this talk about crawling yeah. up and whiffing at getting a whiff of asses?" And he's like, "Watch your mouth, <laughs> calling it like it is." Although and then she's like, uh, I'll take care of you, but I'll straighten you out. Yeah. Something. Which right. is a weird choice of words. There's a lot going on in I every moment like of this movie. Gwen is such a ball buster, though, which I really get into. And she's like, I'm late for choir practice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a character. <laughs> she's really like my dream woman in a lot of Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. I haven't been able to shake it. <laughs> about him, he resigned. Don't give a fuck about Dignam. Yeah. Put in his papers, Frank. He left. I don't know where he is. Don't get your balls in an uproar, Collie. That Irish pissant. He's so hot for me, we give him a whiff of my ass, he'll crawl right in it. Let's give him a whiff. I will. Don't worry. 
I'll take care of it. Sweetheart, you're giving me a heart, huh? Are you sure it's me? Not all that talk about whiffing and crawling up asses. Watch your fucking mouth. No. You watch it. Let me straighten you out. Oh, God, we got so many more notes. <laughs> There's still so much left in this oh, movie. Oh, boy. In order to discover Costigan's identity, Sullivan uses Queenan's phone, which still is sticky with his blood. <laughs> Disgusting. To hit redial to find Costigan's number. Costigan picks up but doesn't say anything and then hangs up, and then he calls Sullivan back, and he's like, you called this number on a dead guy's phone. Right. And they have this weird interaction where Costigan clearly doesn't trust Sullivan. And he's like, put Sergeant Dignam on to confirm. And he's like, he took a leave of absence because he's so upset. We're all very upset. Sort of rightfully so. He doesn't really trust Sullivan at all because it just doesn't make sense. He knows there's a rat. Where is Dignam? And I will say that over the last like 45 minutes of this movie or however long this whole ending portion is, it is a big question. Where the fuck is Dignam? Oh, I know. Right. It feels like Dignam would be able to help straighten this out. Yeah, I know. And it does give credence to like, yeah, he whatever. There is no two-week suspension. He's gone. But it doesn't matter if you're talking about like life or death. At a certain point, Costigan is talking about life or death. Yeah, that's true. And Dignam should show up to somebody and be like, this guy... <laughs> Yeah. Is out there. Well, even after what goes down when he comes in and then, you know, it's like, why doesn't... Yeah. We'll get there. Sullivan learns from Queenan's case files and notes that Costello is an informant for the FBI. And this is a major turning point. Also, Costello ignoring him and plowing over him and just doing whatever he wants. Because Sullivan's like, you need to cool off and back down right now. It's too hot to be doing this. You can't be out there involved in these deals directly. And, of course, Costello just does whatever he wants anyway. And that's kind of infuriating him. But the major thing is learning about him being an FBI informant. So what do you make of this whole setup here with this drug deal? Do you actually think that Costigan is texting Queenan's phone? It seems like he is. Because yeah, he's in that scene where the Dropkick Murphys come on again and Costello's like, get rid of the fucking tail. Yeah, right. And you're like, okay, well, it just seemed like he didn't trust Sullivan at all. But does he feel okay with texting and just not revealing his like, identity? And then he's carrying on this role still? Yeah, it's very strange to me that this yeah, is just happening. That's true. But and it's the only way to make the scene work, I guess. At what point does Sullivan switch? <laughs> this whole Frank being an FBI informant thing obviously shook his world. Oh, that's the reason right. why this all happens. Okay, yeah. He's decided that it's a way out, that if he can figure out a way to get rid of Costello. You well, almost yeah. imagine Plus, that he I, went into this hoping that they could kill Costello. Right. And, of course, it happens in the final confrontation with Costello, but now it's a threat to him. It's a threat to his secret being. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, the self-preservation thing right. it has become his entire focus. He sees that Costello is out of control that there's no real secrecy that Sullivan had previously believed in. And if it's true that Costello is actually an FBI informant, then anything's on the table. Absolutely. Because then, well, what if Costello gets busted doing something really bad? Right. Well, wouldn't it be a great piece to give up a cop that's a mole? Oh, yeah. So, like, 
of course he feels like he's in danger now. And so getting Costello out of the picture is essentially Sullivan's best move. So with Costigan's help and Sullivan in full self-preservation mode, Costello is tailed to a cocaine drop-off. After the deal, a massive gunfight oh, yeah. ensues. Now, isn't this part weird, though, that Costigan seems genuinely kind of worried about Costello? What if they put another tail on you? I don't understand that part. Well, He knows that he's given the information, right? It's possible that he thinks that no one knows who I am, and if this turns bad, which it does, then I could just be killed. Oh, yeah. There's no way to protect yourself, which because I think he. That's true. It's it's. One I of guess those, it's like, a move that kind of it does speed Costello up to get out of there, and that's when he uses his whole. I need to check the back. Yeah, I think you have to make like a leap of faith. It's sort of putting the onus on the viewer to just understand that this particular group of people, it's not going to be like let's get arrested. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, "Oh shit, I got to get out of here." Yeah, that's true. That's right. That does put the wheels in motion of Costello's attention being diverted. And it's a massive amount of casualties for Costello's crew. I mean, everyone seems to get killed. Yeah, I think so. Mr. French. Fitzy. We've already talked a little bit about Winstone, but this is his like big moment because it's like sort of a badass death, really, oh, yeah. where he's like already shot and then he backs into that trailer and then like the car's on fire and he he's just like shoots himself. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> he shoots himself. <laughs> Anytime anyone just like kills themselves spontaneously by like yelling fuck it i'm all in on that that's right (laughs) i'm like this is badass (laughs) there's this brief moment where nicholson gets out of the car and he has to run and then dive over that thing like clearly like a stuntman did the dive but there is a shot there where it seems like nicholson's actually running and he just looks so insane yeah (laughs) it's one of those visuals that's hard to like get out of your head you're like oh Man, even this final confrontation with him and Sullivan is, like, so intense, including him trying to shoot Sullivan. Yeah, so he tries calling Sullivan's cell phone, and then he hears it ringing, like, right around the corner. They're sort of secluded off away from everyone else. Costello really sort of looks like a horror villain at this point, because oh, yeah. he's shot in the stomach, and now he's got, like, blood coming out of his mouth. He's bringing so his back teeth are all red. his character from The Shining. I was thinking just looks like the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> it's like spitting blood out. Sullivan confronts him. He admits to being an informant, and he's like, well, I'd never give you up. No one knows about you and all this stuff. Sullivan's not really buying it at this point. And yeah, Costello tries to shoot him, and he misses, basically. Yeah. So then Is Sullivan that... fatally shoots him. Yeah, although, and then Costello squeezes off one more shot in yeah. death. <laughs> It, yeah, it is basically like a horror movie. You rat prick. <laughs> Do you think this movie breaks the record for most I uses so. of the word prick? I would say so. And rat. <laughs> they do say fuck a lot. I think it's like 200 and whatever yeah. variations of it. Well, but not Wolf of Wall Street level. No, but you definitely... I don't really think there's another movie where prick is used as much as this. That's true. <laughs> rat prick. <laughs> So Sullivan is suddenly the big hero. Everyone applauds him back at police headquarters. That's right. Darlene. Thanks, Darlene. Yeah. <laughs> just gives him a... She's like, this is for you. Like, it's some big special thing. It's like a coffee. No, I think it's she's holding like a bottle of wine or something. Oh, really? So I think it's supposed to be liquor or wine or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, really, Darlene? Just Thanks. a cup of coffee? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, there's no cream. I know you're usually like cream, but we didn't have any. 
But then, you know, if you're looking at the bar running across the bottom of the screen on Netflix or something, you're like, well, there's 25 minutes left. How is this possible? Costello's dead. What's going on? And believe me, folks, it's jam-packed. Yeah, It's a jam-packed true. 25 minutes. <laughs> now that Costello's dead and most of the rest of the crew is dead, I'm sure that Sullivan hoped that the rat was dead because he probably feels vulnerable having this person right. out there. Yep. In case this person knows his identity. But Costigan comes in, reveals his undercover status to Sullivan. Now, in this scene, I can't remember. I think it's Trooper Brown, Anthony Anderson, who Costigan knew from the Academy. Yep. He sees Costigan. He knows that he was undercover. Right. He references this specifically. Yeah, yeah. So that means anybody could know at this point. Right. He's come in. He's revealed himself. But later in the movie, they sort of act like no one would know that That's he ever true. was a you cop. That's true. You know what? And I always kind of buy that for some reason. That's 100%. He's like, I deleted your file. It's like, yeah, but Dignam is still alive. And other people know right. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. You sort of really have to put blinders on for this last 25 That's true. minutes to yeah. make sense. That is a stretch. They act like he's in danger of never of being a cop and having no authority in that sense, and like whatever he says is bullshit. Yeah, he can't get out of this. Now it is true though that Sullivan is also just grasping at this point because it's revealed. I mean, he's yeah. fucked. Oh yeah. yeah, I know. I think he realizes he's kind of fucked now if this guy's out there and he knows. And the way that Costigan finds out too is ridiculous because he doesn't know at this point. Yeah, I do think it's a funny recurring bit the whole i'm gonna recommend you for the medal of merit yeah yeah (laughs) it's like okay when sullivan momentarily leaves the room costigan notices the envelope with the word citizens written on it twice with one of them crossed out and spelled wrong just laying again a more dynamite face acting going on here (laughs) just reacting to this just laying on sullivan's desk and it has to be like a surreal feeling Oh, yeah. knowing that you're the one that wrote that on there. Right. Like, that's your thing that you wrote, and all of a sudden it's just there, and it's probably, like, this second of, like, out of place. Although, like, why like, is this, this is, here? This is ultimately Koskin's downfall. His ability to not play it cool in this moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, or his lack of ability to play it cool in this moment. Definitely. Like, he instantly realizes what it must mean, but then he, it's like a total panic move. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he couldn't even just move the thing back to where it was. Yeah, not only does he flee the scene entirely and run out of there, he can't even put it back exactly how it was, so it's clear to Sullivan when he comes back in the room what happened. So Sullivan sees this envelope sticking out, sees the Costigan has run out of there. Right. He then immediately erases Costigan's records from police computers. As I put in my notes here, not sure what this accomplishes exactly. Right. I'm not even sure what they're implying this accomplishes. That I don't know. It's it's such a weird thing that you're almost like you didn't even need it, because then I think to the viewer, if you set this like final fifteen twenty minutes up as like, well, one of them's got to kill the other. Yeah, yeah. Then I think that's intense enough. I don't think tying it in with the identity stuff. They're trying so hard because like all Costigan sure. can talk about is like, I want my identity right, back. Right. And you're like, yeah. being what a cop is not an mean? identity. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You're like, well, what does he mean? I then? know. <laughs> Costigan goes to see Madeline, even though they've officially like stopped seeing each other and it's broken hard it off. Not to kind of cross a couple of streams here. I was thinking about it this time around. He gives her a package, like when you get time away from this movie and you haven't thought. Are about you going to talk about the two envelopes deal? 
Yeah, the fact the that one he gives her, and then the one in the mail. Yeah, I know. I don't understand. But then also, he doesn't really address it, and I never really think about it. But I was thinking about it a lot this time. Which like he goes to her apartment, the new apartment with him, right, with where Matt Damon lives. Yeah, right. And then he also sends a package to it to that address for Matt Damon, and you're like. Oh. I'm not a hundred percent sure that they're in her apartment building. Okay, in that scene. I thought right. the same thing. I thought that exact same thing, but then you know what? It looks different actually than when, when she, Mark Wahlberg right. goes there. When she first is like messing with the envelope that he gave her, yeah, she's sitting at a desk, which that's looks true. To be so in her maybe office. he's just at her office. Yeah, okay. I All think right. that is her office. That's okay. That makes more sense because then. yeah, I was like, well, he mails this other thing later, but then if you watch the movie that closely. Yeah. She never opens that. Right, right. And we never yeah. find out what's in it. Exactly. Yes, I was going to say that. It's sort of like a red herring thing. Because even in Wikipedia, which I use as like an aid to sort of guide the right. plot, it to gets it happens. wrong. Yeah, okay. It basically says that she opens the envelope that Costigan hands her. And right. she doesn't. Right, but they it's happen so close envelope. to each other. Yeah. I this was thinking, movie is sort of insane. I it's was yeah, I was starting mess. to go down this path of oh, he must know that they're together now if that's the address. I don't but think then, he yeah, ever knows, you, right? Because it is, it is a different place. It feels like she's at the apartment and not yes. at her office, based on the building you're looking at. But it is a different hallway. Yeah, it's a miracle that this movie is as good as it is because there is so many things in this movie that don't make sense, and they're just like, "What is going on?" And you're on left here? wondering what is in the envelope. Is it the same thing, or is it even? I don't know. It, yeah. it must be just like his information as to like what happened, his yeah. records or right. something. I don't know. But it moves at a pace, and it's so just enjoyable to watch that you don't really like question this stuff no, until no. after yeah. the fact. It just sort of all works somehow. I can't explain it. This is such a great reveal scene, though, when she puts that fucking CD on. All right, well, we're not there yet. <laughs> Costigan goes to see Madeline and gives her an envelope. He instructs her to open it if something happens to him. I think in two weeks or something. And then... Yeah, yeah. Or, no, he says, don't open it unless something happens to me or I call you and tell you. And then he's she wants to say something to him, and he's like, think about right. what you have to say and then tell me in two weeks. It has to be that she's pregnant, right? I mean... Well, we don't know that yet, yeah. but yeah... I was wondering if that's what it is. It feels, and then like she that. makes the decision. <laughs> right, right. I almost want to go down a whole rabbit hole okay. of stories that we know about people. <laughs> but like, sometimes you just have to make a decision, and that's you're right. like, "I'm yep. leaning into this direction." Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but the big question here, in this time period, once he flees the police headquarters and everything, and he's basically out on his own on the run, knowing that he could be killed. To protect Sullivan, why doesn't he try to find Dignam? I know yeah. this doesn't make any well, sense. Uh, right? I guess he just doesn't know how to find him because he does want Anthony Anderson to. How bring hard him. could it be to find him? He's not know. hiding. Yeah, well, maybe he's not in the phone book. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's sort of a plot hole. I agree. I mean, he he goes to Madeline, but he doesn't go to Dignam. They try to. He says to Anthony Anderson, "Where's Dignam? I told you to bring Dignam, and he's not there." In the final like rooftop sequence, so he does the dumbest plan ever. Instead of yeah. like telling someone that he trusts that Sullivan's the rat, I know it's such a dumb move. But like again, you just sort I of guess accept you it. Have, when you have the it. only way you can, ex- I guess, like you're supposed to explain it away is like this guy is just like so fucked up from what he's been. like. He doesn't trust anybody. Yeah. You know oh yeah. I mean? yeah. Like, that is like, the explanation right. for sure. Madeline reveals to Sullivan that she is pregnant. 
he seems stunned by this and of course like even like a double he has to ask really like multiple times (laughs) the implication of course is that he's probably never actually finished inside of her (laughs) if if we want to be explicit about about it but again like you know sometimes if we're talking like game of thrones or something it seems like sometimes people just accept things yeah you know it's like well and obviously it's heavily implied throughout the remainder of the movie, anytime Madeline's involved, that the father of the baby is Costigan. Right, right. And I think she knows this. Yes. But as I said, because of the unstable nature that she thinks exists within Costigan and everything that's happened, she's just sort of choosing this lane and is like, I'm just going to go with it, that he's the father. And if, I think it further illustrates that she's a little bit messed up, mm-hmm. that she's just forcing this to continue with Sullivan, even though it's clearly not working. Right, right. And it's like a disaster. Immediately after, she picks up the mail, and there is a second envelope. This time it's addressed to Sullivan. But for some reason, which I will never understand, Bill has put his name and a return address. I guess it's probably not his real address. <laughs> yeah, that's but true. He just wrote M. Costigan or W. M. Costigan on it. And you're like, why would he do that? Other yeah, than yeah. to have a, a way for her to know who it's from. And she's freaked out probably because she may be thinking that it has something to do with her. Who knows what she's thinking? Oh, no, this guy's like a loose cannon. He's going to tell Sullivan about us or something. You right, know, she right. probably has no idea where this is headed. Like, what could this possibly yeah, be? Yeah, right. Because she but doesn't even know to, that he's a cop. They have to give her a reason to open the mail. And I think that the only thing it could be is if his name is Yeah, I, yeah. I know. Right, obviously. right, right. But yeah. it doesn't make any okay, sense yeah. that he would actually do that. Right, true. Yeah. <laughs> Inside, there's a CD. She listens to it. It turns out to be recorded conversations between Costello and Sullivan. Wow, yeah, just crystal clear, too. (laughs) And right at a point where it's enough for her to understand that it's bad. Oh, yeah. They're talking about rats. And and he just, like, talk about, like, the conversations that you don't want people to hear you having, a.k.a. this podcast. (laughs) But it's like, that's the thing that your wife is hearing. Like, you're just saying, like, these horrible things. Like, it involves lying, and I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. I guess they're not married, but... When he comes out of the shower, she pulls the headphone out of the stereo thing so that he can hear it, and he's just, like, scrambling to come up with an excuse. She essentially leaves him over this. Their relationship is now over. Right. She says, I thought I was the liar. Now, you're not not a liar. (laughs) (laughs) She's cute, but let's be honest, she's not that great of a girlfriend either. Right. (laughs) Yeah. There's a phone number. Sullivan calls Costigan. They arrange to meet on the rooftop where Queenan was killed. And this is a half-baked plan. It's a terrible plan. I know. His plan is to essentially try to arrest Sullivan, which even as a viewer, you're like... You're not a cop. Yeah, no one thinks you're a cop. Uh, not only was your thing deleted, I don't deleted, give a fuck but... if the charges don't stick, is he... what he says, which doesn't really make any sense. Well, I think it would be the arrest that doesn't stick. <laughs> but I think what you have would make any charges stick. Yeah, it's just, it's a terrible plan. He blindsides him, handcuffs him. He's telling him he's going to arrest him. And then, you know, Sullivan's desperation is pretty great. This is one of, like, Damon's best thing because it's just, he's alternating back and forth between trying to be tough and... Crumbling. Yeah. I do like whenever Costigan's just like, shut the fuck up, and he's, like, (laughs) punching him in the face when his hands are handcuffed on his back. Yeah, that is. So he's good. got like the blood all over his face. I know. Freeze! Hey, 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 put the fucking gun down! 
Put the gun, put the gun down, all right? I came here to talk some Hands. sense into you. All right, just act professional. I can get you your money. What just did you act say? I can get you your money. You didn't come here to talk, all right? You came here to get arrested. You got fucking tapes of what? Costello was my informant. I was a rat. Fuck you. Prove it. He was working for me. He was my informant. Shut your fucking mouth. Come on, get up. Well, what is this? A citizen's arrest? Blow me. All right, only one of us is a cop here, Bill. You understand that, Bill? No one knows who Would you're you fucking shut up. the fuck up? I'm a sergeant in the Massachusetts State Police. Who the fuck are you? I erased you. You erased me, huh? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Shoot a cop, Einstein. Watch what happens. Well, what happened is this bull would go right through your fucking head. Watch what happens. What, so you can get the parade, huh? The bagpipes and bullshit? Fuck you! Fuck you! I'm fucking arresting you! That's the stupidest thing you could do. Shut the fuck up! I could give a fuck if the charges don't stick. Costigan has called Trooper Brown, played by Anthony Anderson, was maybe going to be the RZA at one point. Oh, shit. This is a friend from back in the Academy, and as I pointed out, somebody that saw Costigan when he first came in and revealed himself as the mole. So it's like the deletion of the file, I'm not sure what that accomplished. Yeah, yeah. It's like people saw him. They know that it was him. It had to be more than just Sullivan that talked to him about this, too. They kind of blow over it, but it's like this would be such a big deal, this guy coming into the office. Brown is someone who knows Costigan. He's able to substantiate his identity. But when Brown arrives at the scene, he's unsure of what's happening. He pulls his gun on Costigan, not able to believe either of them, not sure of who's telling the truth. And this is what I mean by this being a half-baked plan. Coming at it from this angle does make him seem crazy. Because you're like, what is it? why are we on this rooftop? What is happening? You've handcuffed him. You, I know. You know it just it's the worst possible way to try to go about this. Yeah. It you've does... got all the leverage really because you've got these tapes. He doesn't even you sent him the tape I guess to get him to respond to you, but he didn't even know the tapes existed. I know, that. that's the thing you gave it all up. And Costigan reveals in this conversation that Costello's lawyer gave Costigan the tapes because evidently that's how much Costello trusted him in the end. Right. And Mr. French was dead, too. And you have to wonder if it's like part of that is the irony of Sullivan being like, no way. It's definitely not Bill. (laughs) Costigan says he has evidence tying Sullivan to Costello, proving he's the rat. And Brown reluctantly lets Costigan take Sullivan down in the elevator. And this is where Sullivan finally like cracks a little bit. Damon, I think it's like amazing in this. (laughs) Just going from ridiculing him. And then it's just like kind of a prolonged silence, uh, getting like further down and closer to like the bottom level and this reality that everything is up. You're going to jail basically. And then that's just fucking kill me. Just like a weeping mess. (laughs) When they reach the lobby, the elevator door opens to Costigan's shock death. Yeah. As he is shot dead by Trooper Berrigan. And this is a genuinely shocking moment. Absolutely. Gasps. Oh my gosh, I, I'm telling you, I was like, this th- this whole thing shook me for like, after I saw the movie, I, I was just like, I could not believe this happened. Yeah. Well, it almost sets you up because you've forgotten a little bit about Dignum too, where you're like, well, wait a minute. Now, like, yeah, who's left? Right. <laughs> I don't want to compare the two things because it's a completely different tone and a completely different time period in society and everything, but almost comparable to another DiCaprio-Scorsese mashup when... Jordan Belfort punches 
Margot Robbie in the stomach oh, at the yeah. end of the Wolf of Wall Street when people were like, this guy was fun and was a party, and then he does this bullshit yeah, because yeah. people gasped then. Absolutely. I remember people being like, oh! <laughs> right <laughs> when he punches her in the stomach. And yeah, it's sort of a different vibe, different tone to it. But yeah, people were like stunned when this happens. Because I don't know how you feel about it. I think that in a way to keep you off the scent, they have to make it like a guy you don't know. Like you barely even remember this right, character right. from yeah. other scenes. Yeah. Because if they cast like somebody noticeable, you'd be like, well, f- clearly this guy's going to factor into it. Right, right. Yeah. But like, you never it is weird this. that like this random guy just kills. You think Sullivan is the last remaining villainous threat? Well, at first, you don't think it's a villainous threat. Yeah. You have a cop who this guy's loyal to. Obviously, right, right. Yeah. And yeah. he's being detained by this guy who was in Costello's crew. So you're, at first you're like, oh, bad luck. That was actually, I remember thinking that. Like, right, right, oh, right. fuck, he fucked up because this cop just shot him. Yeah, like, yeah. I didn't even think. And, that and it was I, another, oh. right. Yeah. Brown comes down a moment later, and then this is when it's all revealed, because Berrigan kills him as well. And even Sullivan is shocked by this turn of events, because yeah. if you see Damon in the background, he's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Right. Berrigan reveals himself to be another mole working for Costello. If you were Berrigan, wouldn't the whole time you'd be like, well, why am I the lesser mole? Well, why does Sullivan get all the? Because Sullivan was better at it being a cop. That's he was true. Like moving up the ranks, yep. he was like much more important. He was like smarter, and this ties in with what we were talking about with Delahunt too. Because I was like, well, maybe that would balance it out if there was That's actually true. two cops. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm not sold on the Delahunt theory, but it yeah. is interesting. Yeah, I feel like he's not a cop, but they do that little part just to give you enough. Is he? <laughs> For some reason. Yeah, right. Because you're right. like, well, what difference? I know, really? yeah. <laughs> but it's just it's just more of the cat and mouse. And so you think, okay, unity, because Berrigan's like, it's just us now. Yeah. Costello was going to sell us to the FBI. But again, that's why Berrigan's an idiot and why Sullivan's always like two steps ahead of him. Yeah, but wait, no, because Sullivan realizes this is his ticket out. Yeah. Because he's like, well, I can just pin him as the mole yeah. and, I, and it, I can be done with it. Right. No one's going to be thinking about it yeah. ever again. Lightning quick puts that all together. Sullivan kills Berrigan. It's like one of those things where he's like, here, give me that gun. I got to wipe it off and then just immediately (laughs) shoots him. I was thinking, like, how is he going to explain whose gun was used? Yeah. Oh, I know. The trajectory of the shots and all this stuff. Berrigan is shot in, like, the side of the head. From, like, close range. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like execution style. But somehow he explains what happens and it's sort of intercut over costigan's funeral where he's explaining his side of the story and then he brings up the medal of merit again yeah yeah just i want to go on the record i will be recommending william costigan jr for the medal of merit like yeah thanks for that (laughs) oh god such a worm yeah costigan gets the cop's funeral the bagpipes and the bullshit as he described it right yeah he's getting this and it's certainly posthumously but he's Getting this whole uh, recognition, finally. You know? Yeah. I found it a little strange, actually, and I don't really, I guess, know about the different cultural stuff in Hong Kong, but in Infernal Affairs, when they have like a cop funeral, there were bagpipes and stuff, Oh, too. wow. Okay, and I was yeah. like, is there like an Irish presence in this? <laughs> or is that just something that, like, I don't know. I really... It's cross-cultural. Yeah, to see this... Asian man playing the bagpipes at this funeral. I was that like, "That does seem crazy." Wow, that's weird. But obviously, that movie existed, so it's not like they took it from right, the right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't think that. 
Sullivan's at the funeral and he looks across to see Madeline just like openly weeping and he's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, how do you even know this guy? <laughs> I mean, that would be like a whole line of questions. Like, That's what right. is going on here? Yeah. Costigan did say, I'm seeing this police shrink or something. And so like, maybe it all clicks in his head of like, oh, he was seeing her as like a shrink or something. Yeah. I don't know, but it is weird because he's, he's like, like, something's up. Why is she here? Yeah. He like waits up for her after the funeral and she just walks right by and he's like, what about the baby? And she doesn't even look at him. Right. Yeah. It's over. She wants nothing Stone to do with cold. him. Because she knows it's not even his baby. So there yeah. doesn't need to be any connection. And then finally the big payoff. And I mean, this was like a very cathartic scene. Absolutely. I feel like it got applause. You're just like, I cannot believe this guy is getting away with this all. Now, when he gets off the elevator at his apartment and he tries to pet that dog and the lady oh, yeah. i was like what's that about like the lady pulls the dog away do they all like hate him or something it's just, I, I get i think you're just supposed to take it as like you know well this didn't really work out for me everyone can kind of just like smell <laughs> this is just like no good so did you see this coming at no. all no absolutely not oh, you're wondering about dignum but i guess you're kind of just by this point feeling like so much has happened that it's you're been not so long since you've it. seen him you're just not thinking that he's coming back yeah as Sullivan returns to his apartment and Dignum is there waiting for him. I love the way it's presented to us, the viewer, too, because the first thing you see are those like surgical booties. foot covering <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah, the booties on the shoes. So you start there and then you sort of like pan up so that you see his hands and he's got like the latex gloves and you're just like, what the obviously fuck? we know where this yeah. is heading. Somebody's about to shoot this motherfucker. Yeah. He's got a gun with like a silencer on it, pans up. And there's like this realization, like from the audience and also Sullivan. And there was definitely like an audience cheer. Absolutely. As Dignum fatally shoots Sullivan in the head, bringing an end to it all, basically closing yeah. the loop of the story, all right. connections. To I like it. Sullivan's reaction, though, right before it happens. He's just kind of like, okay. Okay, fine. <laughs> basically. I wasn't sure if he meant like, okay, kill me or like, okay, I give up, like, take me in or something. Yeah, I couldn't okay. really tell for sure. Cause. I don't know. It's a waste of good croissants. I agree with that. That bag of groceries just hits the floor. Yeah. And yeah, I love that like Dignam just puts that hat on and just leaves. Yeah. (laughs) So do you think he goes back to being a cop? I don't know. It's hard to say what (laughs) happens with the Dignam character. It'd be easier to say with the whole two weeks with pay thing, but it seems like he's been gone for a while at this point. I don't know. Well, I don't know either. It could be all within like a week of that. That's true. Yeah, it could be. It feels like longer, but yeah. just the way that they keep talking about, like, Dignum's gone. We don't know where he is. No one can find him. <laughs> like, Well, it seemed like Queenan gets killed, and within three days, I would say within two or three days, Costello gets killed. Yeah. So then after that, then it's hard to say how much time Costigan's out there on his own. Right. It does feel like, it feels most likely that it's less than two weeks. Yeah. But why do they talk about Dignum like he's, like, long gone? I guess because he filed his papers for resignation, meaning like if you're a cop and you're washing your hands of it, yeah. regardless of how we're viewing it as people watching a movie, that means you're done. It's like any job you had. Right. Like if you quit the job, it's not like you're going to care anymore well, about that's what true, happens. Yeah. Although it is like a different thing when you're talking about like life People's and death. People's lives, and yeah. Good versus evil and all, and all that stuff. But I don't know. But yeah, I did always take it that Dignum never really put it all together until after Costigan and everybody's killed. And then he's like, well, it doesn't make sense. It has to be Sullivan. Yeah. 
Like, he's the only one smart enough to put that together, but... I guess that is the way that it all works out, because he's he knew the truth about Kosigan, and I don't know. It does sort of beg the question, though, what was in that envelope Yeah, that he gives to Madeline, because she obviously opened it, because he said, if anything happens to me. So maybe that was, like, hey, instructions to, like, yeah. contact Dignum, but then you're like... Why wouldn't have he just contacted Dignum himself then? I know. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. My theory on feds is they're like mushrooms. Feed them shit and keep them in the dark. I was just watching this again earlier today, and Lindsay and I were talking about that scene, and she's like, so what was in the envelope? And I was like, I don't know. The truth? And she's like, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the whole story, maybe? I, don't... I guess it was like... Like he needs her to know. He needs somebody to know. Yeah, maybe it was another tape, too. That's of, true. To be like, here's more proof. Here's what happened. Here's these things. Here's who to here's look for. Here's your boyfriend that you live with on tape. <laughs> oh, boy. She was, like, <laughs> listening to the tape wherever Costello's like, we'll give him a whiff of my ass. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what is this? <laughs> Folks, this was a long one. The Holy Departed. Shit. Yeah. This has to be our longest episode in a while possibly yeah well we'll see what it comes in at but i feel like you're gonna even out whatever you cut out with some of these memorable clips because there's so many right yeah this is our third scorsese movie i believe right we did raging bull and taxi driver that's right yeah i think i thought it was time to maybe do another one and i know some listeners out there had specifically mentioned this movie so this is, this is a good one. And this actually such is a, technically like a you pick because I said, yeah. pick something good to come back with. And you were like, well, I have you, such a long you history. You gave with me it. five choices and the other four were terrible. 100% no yeah. ways. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, I mean, such a fun movie to watch and such a, such a fun movie to talk about. Yeah, I think because this episode is long enough and because I didn't have anything prepared anyway, we'll still leave out the return of recommendations. Yeah, that's okay. We'll bring those back next week. So we're back now, back in the week-to-week flow. I think it's safe to say that because of how much time and energy I invest in this fucking thing. (laughs) Which you never fail to remind us. From time to time, I'm going to need a sabbatical. Sure. It's good for the health. uh, There might be other instances where we, you know, record two so that I'll have extra time on the second one and then after that take two weeks. Sort of just exactly what we just did. So it feels like a three week break or something like that. But we'll see. I get like revived at certain points of the year. We got one trashy summer coming up. We're gonna bring that back and then if we weren't feeling so refreshed, I mean there's a possibility that this is only an hour and a half episode. If we were like going on our regular pace. No, that's the thing. That's part of why it's like so mentally taxing. It's yeah, like really. Whenever we were so like, let's say. do this movie, let's do that movie, and I'm thinking, how long was that going to be? And it's like The Departed. You're like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> There's I just no way that it's this, not going to be long. Before the break, I was like thinking, like, man, there's just like not that much stuff left for us to do. And then, like, over the break, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's a million things left we oh, need to yeah. do. Oh, yeah, I mean, we're nowhere near. Yeah, I know. There's an infinite amount of stuff, really. All right, so that's that. Follow the show on Twitter, at Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and anywhere else that we're available. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know on Twitter if you'd like a sticker for free. 
mm-hmm. support the show in that way. They're nice stickers. Absolutely. I still don't think I have one of my own, uh, by the way. Well, I got a bunch, so, you know. And also, if you have a listener request, you can let us know. I think the best way to go about that is to maybe potentially bring us a list of a few to choose from, but we'll do what we can most of the time. Yeah. Hopefully. Much like when I bring a list. If you've already given us a listener request and we've done it, or we are planning on doing it or whatever, you know, there's probably going to be a little bit of a, a a waiting period before we get back to you. I mean, we're, we're looking for first timers at this point yeah. for the most part. Anyway, we appreciate everyone listening. It's awesome to see that people actually care about the show. There's even if it's just a few people, anyone really, it's yeah. mind blowing that anyone Happy cares. Happy to get a response. Yeah. But when I talk about this podcast to people, I usually am like, it's actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Shockingly, great, but it's right. good. Yeah, pretty it's okay. good. It's listenable at yeah. times. Which is definitely a step up from some of the other podcasts we did in our youth. Absolutely. When we were first trying this out. Yes. <laughs> no good. Follow us on Letterboxd. Zach1983, I've been just going completely insane with yeah, the amount of I, movies I cannot, I've been logging. I can't keep up with you. I try to watch a movie every night now, too, and it's like, there's nights that I'm just like... I'm like, is this going to be a four or a six for today? <laughs> <laughs> how many? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how long I can keep this up. It starts blurring together at a certain point I know. where you're just like, I don't know. Anyway, Zach1983, Matt Crosby on there. Hope to see you on there. I like to see what people are watching. and Absolutely thinking of what they think about it and whatnot yeah and there's stuff that pops up that i'm like oh i don't know what this is folks we'll talk to you soon thanks for listening yes. we'll see you next time we'll see you next time Anymore. It's Dunk. Dunkachino? Don't mind if I do.
What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, who are light? This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl, I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. 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 Dunkachino.